0: To another adventure here on Southern Sense Live on Blog Talk Radio And SHR Media Up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube No, not on YouTube yet We're trying to get ourselves back up on there I'm your hostess with the most sister radio chick Annie Along with my debonair, Erudite And oh so handsome See I said it Curtis (laughs) Curtis, Oh man Uh, It's nice to be back on the airwaves
3: (laughs) It's nice to be (laughs) back yeah,
0: it's it, it's been an interesting year, uh, in and out of the hospital this year, and I managed to do a double header. Uh, so for those, I want to thank everyone that was up on Twitter, sending me such beautiful messages. I uh, God bless Sue. She got the word out there that I had gotten rushed to emergency on Sunday, and uh, believe me, I've known pain. I've had my appendix burst just as they're lifting it out of me, and I mean that's pain. Um, I've had where spinal taps have leaked. That's pain. I've broken my shoulder and torn the ligaments in it. That's pain. But what I experienced Sunday made it all look like a walk in the kindergarten park. Uh, Unbelievable. And I was so bad. God bless these guys at our emergency services uh, here on Ladies Island. Um, They were here within moments. Uh, I was curled up in a fetal position on the bathroom floor. Wow. And they managed to get me out of there, up onto the gurney, and to the hospital. And I, I I can tolerate pain. As a matter of fact, the only pain medication I take is Tylenol. I mean, considering all the surgeries I've had and all the things I've been through, the only thing I take is Tylenol. And when they said morphine, I was screaming. I mean, literally screaming for the morphine. And uh, <laughs> I mean... Uh, the hospital food is not the best food to eat, but I've still got to say the people in the hospital just were fantastic. And I've got to tell you, um, people, check out something called C-Diff, C-diff. They give us so many antibiotics today, and what happened to me was it killed off all the good bacteria in my di- digestive tract, mm. and all that was left was a contagious infection. I was in quarantine mm. for three days. They had to wear hospital wow. gowns, masks gloves. The place had to be cleaned. Um, when I got home, we had to sanitize everything here. Uh, I'm better. I'm not contagious anymore.
4: Oh, that's good. <laughs> so
0: I can count them. Um, you know, on, on the other antibiotics and probiotics that help rebuild the good bacteria in your stomach. But when they give you antibiotics, just check it out first and see what <laughs> they can do to you. And they gave it you know, close to me because of the heart surgeries I had. So, because they did the heart mm-hmm. implant, the, the uh, device implant on the previous Sunday, the antibiotics they gave me on that—I'm sorry, Thursday—ended up leaving me on the bathroom floor on Sunday. So, I went from one hospital in Savannah to the hospital here in Beaufort, and it's wow. no fun, folks. No fun.
5: Well, you know, I—I I can empathize with you on the um, the fact that when you were in such great pain that you you pr- practically begged for a shot because I remember doing something like that when I had knee surgery when I was in the the service. I I had a torn ligament in my knee, and they eventually did um, surgery. And after the surgery, you know, and the anesthesia wore off, I was like in so much pain, I was begging the the doctor, I mean the nurse, to give me a shot. I didn't care what it was, where they put it, just give me something. I tell you, boy, it put me to sleep. But I understand where you're coming from with that pain. But thank goodness we had um, some good first responders that um, assisted you. Some good doctors, too, because okay. you're back on the air with us.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. I've got follow-up appointments next week and the week after. And one of the problems is is that with the infection that I had and with the stomach the way it is, it affected the heart so, I've been going in and out of atrial fibrillation. I'm okay at this point as long as my heart rate b- remains below a certain level, I can function daily. I'll get out of breath I'll go to you know outside to get the mail and I found out don't do that. Ask your husband to do that because it's a long walk down the driveway. My driveway can easily fit eight cars, so i, oh, I learned the day <laughs> if it's something like that, you know, honey, please go get the nail in the newspaper for me. So I got to take it a little bit easy and every day is a little bit stronger, a little bit better. You know, I went out of AFib for about an hour today, which means my body is healing and I'm going to see the cardiologist and we're going to and see my GP and work with all three of my doctors to get a game plan to get me back on track and back into shape. But as for you and your knee, you little wuss, geez, they not only replaced <laughs> my shoulder, they replaced the replacement and when they replaced the replacement <laughs> they put this morphine drip in my neck and i said well Anne, it's going to take two weeks you squeeze it every so many hours it's got a little timer on it so you can't overdose and he said at the end of the two weeks the little ball will be completely deflated once it's completely deflated you can pull it out and throw it away after two weeks the ball was barely halfway through and I'm on the phone with the doctor, says, The damn thing. I says, I want it out. I want it out. It's annoying. It's only not even halfway through. I don't want it. Can I rip it out? He goes, Oh yeah, go ahead. I'm like, here it
3: goes. Boom.
0: And yet he's going, Don't do that, blood's gonna spurt. No
4: <laughs> Blood wow. not spurt everywhere. <laughs>
0: so that's how much I hate painkillers. Uh, so yeah, I agree with yeah, you. I like- you know safer for a life and death situation. i am, I've seen, as a cop, I've seen what painkillers do to people. What I've seen it what's done to people in my family. I've seen it, what it's done to friends. And uh, personally, me, you give me a Percocet or an oxycodone, I will get violently ill. I have a bad reaction to codeine. Uh, another reason why I avoid pain medication. But anyway, we got ourselves a full show to go on. I'm wasting time here. We got four great guests lined up. John Horvat, uh, Return to Order. Uh people see his posts all over the internet and you'll probably get his emails. Uh Jennifer Lawrence is with we build the walls us. She the spokesperson for that. And that is that's a bang up job they're doing there on the border. Then we're gonna have Andrew Farley, uh, who has his own podcast and uh other things going on. He's got a great book out, Twisted Scripture, untangling the forty-five lies. Christians have been told. And I'm telling you, I read the intro and I had brought that to one of my doctor's offices for my visit. And he happened to belong to the same church. And he looked at the title and he sort of like snorted, like, oh, great, more propaganda. And I said, no, believe it or not, when I started reading the book through the intro and the first few chapters, I was in tears. Someone really finally gets it. It's going to be fun talking to him. And then we're going to close out the show with Myron Magnet. And this guy's a character. I mean, you just look at his picture and you know he's, this going mm. to be a pisser. He's got a new book out called Clarence Thomas and the Lost Constitution. And this is so perfect because we've had the decisions that came down over the last two days before they went into recess. Uh, we're going to be talking to him about his book and what's going on. That said, I'm wasting time and we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's, Excuse me. Today's dedication is uh, going out to t- Police Officer Matthew J. Whitner of Milwaukee Police Department, Wisconsin. His end of watch was Wednesday, February sixth of this year. This is from the Officer Down Memorial page. Police Officer Matthew Whitner was shot and killed as he executed a narcotics and firearms-related search warrant at a home of the twenty-nine hundred block of South Twelfth Street near West Dakota Street. As Tactical Enforcement Unit attempted to breach the apartment door, the suspect opened fire with an AK-47, shooting through the door and striking Officer Rittner in the chest. Officer Rittner was transported to Friedhort Hospital, where he died from his injuries. The subject who shot him was taken into custody at the scene. He was charged with first-degree intentional homicide, and numerous other narcotics and weapons charges. Officer Rittner was a U.S. Marine Corps veteran of the War on Terror. He had served with the Milwaukee Police Department for 17 years. He survived by his expectant wife and child. And this is from jsonline.com by Bill Glover and Mary Spicosa of the Milwaukee General Center. And they write, Matthew Rittner was not afraid to face danger, whether on the dusty roads of Iraq or the streets of Milwaukee. As a U.S. Marine, he was deployed twice to Iraq during a harrowing tour in 2004 to five. Rittner was in vehicles hit three times by roadside bombs and was in a four and a half hour firefight in which a fellow Marine was killed. As a 17-year veteran officer with the Milwaukee Police Department, Rittner rose through the ranks to handle high-risk situations as a member of the Tactical Enforcement Unit. If you were to draw a picture of a United States Marine or draw a picture of a perfect police officer, that would be him, said Max Zaruba, a friend who served with Rittner in Iraq. Ritner, 35, was shot and killed while executing a search warrant in the city's south side. He was a great American, a great patriot, said Gilmero Rosales, Jr., who commanded Milwaukee's-based Fox Company 2nd Battalion 24th Marines during Ritner's 2008 deployment to Iraq. I can see that he had a moral obligation to do the right thing and to serve. Give his life to others, Rosales said. Any police officer being a Marine is right in line with that compass. Rittner enjoyed working on cars, going to Milwaukee Brewers games, and doting on his wife and the young son. He and Carolyn Rittner were married in September 2017 at Miller Park. It was kind of awesome, said a friend, Michael Warko. Matt got to throw out the first pitch on the day they got married. Just an absolutely amazing guy. Matt was probably the happiest person in the world to be a dad, to have an amazing wife, and to be a police officer. Zerubis said he was excessively proud of that. Rittner was a 2001 graduate of Greenfield High School, where he wrestled and played tennis as a senior. In 2001, he became a police aide with MPD. Police department records show he received a Medal of Valor and award for meritorious service for his work in the Tactical Enforcement Unit. He received a Medal of Valor for helping three hostages from a gunman in 2015. The tactical team raced down the stairway to save the hostages from the gunman, the commendation says. The group's bravery and courage demonstrated their commitment to the citizens. He was also honored in 2015 after he and the unit went to a call for a man holding a woman against her will in a home. The man walked outside and was arrested. During the arrest, officers noticed smoke coming from the building and went inside and escorted the woman to safety. They then returned a second time to make sure no one else was in danger. Rittner served eight years with the U.S. Marine Reserve Unit. He participated in Operation Phantom Fury in late 2004, an offensive against the Iraqi city of Fallujah. That area would be known as the Triangle of Death. He was just fearless, said Ryan Lackey, who was Ritner's platoon sergeant. He was a Humvee driver for an entire tour that we drove only unarmored vehicles. If you took a direct hit from an IAD or an RPG, you were dead. We called them suicide sleds. We all knew that every time we loaded into those vehicles, it might be our last, Lackey said. During Ritner's second tour in 2008, Lackey said the unit monitored and mentored a local police force. During that tour, Rittner told the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, I expected there to be more to do, more enemies. I don't know what to say. We're not doing anything. But sometimes it feels we aren't at war anymore. Lackey said Rittner used similar skills with the Marines and the police. I knew he carried some common sense, the same selflessness, and dedication to a greater good to his job as a police officer, as he did in the military, Lackey said. Wartgow said Rittner was a genuine, caring person. What Matt told you something, that was his word, his bond. He didn't sugarcoat much. He was just a factual guy. Rittner's friends were trying to cope with his death. I think a lot of people are still in a state of shock, Wartgow said. Matt and I had last seen each other at Brewers on the deck. We had been texting renewing season tickets for this year. Now you have this. His fellow Marines sought to grasp that one of their own, who survived war in Iraq, died in Milwaukee. He was so vibrant, so full of life, and it was difficult watching the press conference and hearing the assistant police chief talking about how well-loved he was by his fellow police officers. He was well-loved by everyone in the Marines, He was so full of life and so full of fun. Matthew said that Rittner was a warrior every day. All I can think of is this is the life we have chosen, he said. We knew the dangers. We knew the risks. We did it because we believed in what we were doing. We believed in each other, in brotherhood, in having each other's backs. And finally, this is from... Fox 6 now. Carolyn Rittner, the wife of fallen Milwaukee Police Officer Matthew Rittner, has revealed she is pregnant. According to Captain Derek Harris, the commander of MPD's Specialized Patrol Division, Carolyn Rittner learned she was going to have a baby just three days after her husband's funeral. A gender revealed with pictures shared on Facebook indicates Carolyn is pregnant with a girl. The child is expected to arrive in October. Carolyn and Matthew also have a son. Those listening out there, they're accepting monetary gifts to Carolyn Whitner to be delivered by TCF Bank. Cards and gifts can also be sent. So if you're interested in helping her in her pregnancy as she grieves for her husband, and looks for a new life. Please send it to the Milwaukee Police Association. The address is 6310 West Blue Mound Road. That's B-L-U-E-M-O-U-N-D, Blue Mound Road in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Zip code 53213. Once again, Milwaukee Police Association, 6310 West Blue Mound Road. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53213. Today's show is dedicated to Officer Ridner. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, EMS, like the men and women that rescued me on Sunday. It is also dedicated to the brave men and women in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into its future. May God bless them all. And we dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Arendon, My Name is America.
3: with the blood of my people freedom has never been free now my doors always open to dreamers and friends
0: listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker. How oh, the heck with it? Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle of southern-sense.com. Of course, you know who I am, of course. I'm your hostess with the mostest, the radio chick Annie. And you know who my co-host is, the one and only original radical, Curtis B.S. <laughs> Bennett. matter of fact, Curtis, pump your, your, your website at. I always forget to do it. So just just hit me with a wet noodle and just tell people about your website.
5: It's oh, the, original, the original, radicals dot net, and that's what T H E and the dot in, in net. You, you
0: change it so many times, I keep on forgetting where it's at. Well, you it used to should be send me the or link order. so I can I can <laughs> send me the link so that way I can link it up to my website too, so I can tell people if you go to Southern Sense, just click on the original radicals to go to your website. Yeah. How's that for an idea? We uh, we can we yeah, solve that problem work. easily. I'm I'm, going to have something up every once in a while. I'll see an editorial or something that will just blow my gasket. And you and I were talking about this off air. Um, I'm going to have to wait for my local rag to publish the editorial on their online site so I can link it. Um, But I am going to be um, putting up a rebuttal to someone who wrote an editorial asking for, or telling us that we need mandated birth control, mandated Mm. government-legislated and regulated mandated birth control for women of childbearing years. And uh, if I try to go into this whole thing and the guest calls in in the middle of this, we'll never get the show over with. (laughs) Mm. But I'm going to be doing a rebuttal to this. And he talks about unwanted babies, now, I got to admit, I have to give him credit for calling them babies and not fetuses or zogites. He had enough tenacity to recognize that these are human beings, these are children. But when he said unwanted, you know, I, I mentioned this, I think, on the last show, I, or I, I was telling someone about this. Just recently, just north of Georgia, um, a, a family had come home. And they lived on the edge of a woods and they heard a cry in the woods. And we've got these, um, what do you call them? Mockingbirds that will imitate the cry of a cat or a baby. So a lot of times you'll hear it and you start walking around looking to see where it comes from. And it ends up being a mockingbird. But this family had the wherewithal to call 911 because they, they said something's not right. It doesn't feel right. doesn't sound right. And sure enough, about 100 yards away from that family's back door, they found a plastic bag tied up and they heard the sounds coming from inside the plastic bag. It was a newborn baby girl only a few hours old with the umbilical cord still attached, crying. They rescued that baby. They that that baby and they did. She would not have survived. And thank you very much. They got the child in time. The offers to adopt this little girl came in by the thousands. So these women that go for these abortions saying that the, these are unwanted children, unwanted babies, unwanted preborn, are full of shit. I'm sorry, you know I don't curse, but I'm getting angry. And he puts in here unwanted babies. Someone wanted that baby abandoned in the woods. If those children were allowed to be born, the next Einstein could be here. The next leader of world peace could be here. The the one that could find the cure to cancer, to AIDS, to half the other diseases that are going on in the world could be here. And you have no idea how many have been flushed down the toilet because of these pro-choice individuals. These babies are wanted. Don't tell me they're unwanted. I mean, in my own family, there was this, the daughter of one of our family members became pregnant. She was young, and she was trying to decide what to do. My husband and I are up there in our years. We are senior citizens. I'll admit that. And I said, I don't care how old we are. We'll take that baby. And if in 5, 10, 20 years she wants to connect with that child, that child will be here. And we will not talk one bad word about it. We want that child. It was too late. She had already aborted it. That child was wanted. So don't tell me about unwanted children and using it as an excuse for abortion. Using here as excuse for mandatory government-legislated and regulated birth control for women and telling us it's a woman's health choice. It's a woman's right, he writes in here. It's a woman's right to be told by government that I must take this birth control even though I disagree with it. You're telling me it's my right to be regulated and legislated by government on what my body can and cannot do? You're saying that about you're pro-choice. You don't want government telling you that you can't have an abortion, but telling me at this same point that I must have this birth control. And, oh, by the way, you said it would help in, in stopping unwanted pregnancies from rape and incest, but it doesn't stop the actual crime of rape and incest. So here's an idea, guys, out there, those of you listening. If you're going to do mandatory legislated and regulated birth control for women of childbearing years, here's a thought. Let's do mandatory chemical castration of men that have viable sperm. As soon as their sperm are viable, why don't we chemically castrate them so they cannot commit rape or incest or create unwanted pregnancies? What's good for the goose is going to be good for the gander. How's that, you little idiots?
5: Well, like I said, um, Annie, on the left, what they can't win you over with in the arena of ideas they try to force you. And that's, that's the way, you know, the left operates, you know. They can't get people well, to agree with their policy, so they want to force it on you. And we have to absolutely. fight them back every inch of the way.
0: Absolutely. And let's bring our next guest, our first guest in, the first victim of the show. Let's welcome aboard John Horvat of ReturnToOrder.org. Good afternoon, John. How are you today?
6: Very well. Thanks. Uh, great to be on the show. I am hardly a victim, though.
0: <laughs> you'll, you'll try to change your, We'll change your mind by the time you get off there. Yeah.
6: Okay, well, let's see. It sounds great.
0: <laughs> oh, man. I'm sorry. I was in the middle of a rant when you called in. Some idiot wrote an editorial into our local paper calling for mandatory legislative and regulated Birth control of women of childbearing years,
3: and I'm,
0: yeah, and I'm going to be. Uh, I'm just letting everyone know that uh, it's not tonight because I'm waiting for the newspaper to put this editorial on their online site so I can copy the link so people can read the editorial and then my rebuttal to it. So guys, check out 710. <laughs> Probably tomorrow I'll have it up there, and because uh, this Italian is on a warpath with <laughs> this one. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh man
0: you've got a great paperback out and it's called we've been there how we got here and where we need to go and it's titled return to order from a frenzied economy to an organic Christian society and um, I, I read your book I loved it and I have little post-it notes and everyone knows that when I read the books <laughs> I got post-it notes in 15 different areas it's either that right, yeah. or if it's a Kindle it's highlighted and then I print out all the highlights so I can do my notes, but there's so much to talk about because this is this is a uh, basically telling us, you know, where our Christianity is under attack. And you write right, yeah. mostly from a Roman Catholic perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born a Roman Catholic, an Italian Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm no, I am now Anglican. Think... Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I, I saw in the late '70s and '80s a bend in the church that I I just was disagreeing with. I saw a movement in the church in many areas away from the conservative Christian values, the gospel teaches us. And I saw a sort of perversion coming through and I stepped back. I never lost faith in, Mm -hmm. in, in Christ, but I lost faith in the Catholic church. But when you write, you know, sometimes I look at it and go, yeah, I saw these things when I was growing up as a child in the church. And I'm Mm -hmm. hoping that in time, the church will go back to what you write with. Um, it's it's very interesting because when you write these things, you bring it into today's perspective and put it in today's situations. And I'm just trying to open one of my <laughs> post-it notes. Bear with me because I've got tons mm-hmm. of paper in front of me. Um, you talk about the free market economy, and uh, capitalism is created as a derogatory term. You know, people don't understand that. Um, we I'd like to say free market economy. But
6: yeah, the left definitely. To use the word. Yeah, I definitely uh, don't don't like to use the word uh, capitalism because it can mean so many things. You know, it can mean uh, it can mean uh, the free market economy. It can mean the excesses that are applied to it. And it was a term that was uh, was coined by the left, and so it's better to stay off the 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 battlefields that they choose. And you know, to put put our own words, the words that are more proper, I think, to the to
0: the thing absolutely, absolutely you know and we're we're facing a situation here where we see a movement towards socialism uh, yeah. but if if you think about the gospel and the way Christ teaches it, um, he he constantly talks about you know you've got to earn your place basically he, he says, so you know if you're not willing to work, why should we feed you is basically what he's teaching. And yet we see the socialism going, well, no, it's a it's a human right to have food. It is a human right to have housing. It is a human right to have health care. But mm-hmm. that's not what he taught. Because when I was listening to the debates last night, I'm hearing yeah. this over and over again. Oh, yeah. I looked at my husband and I said, if this is such a human right to health care and all these other wonderful things, and Christ had the ability to do this, why did he not spread his arms over the entire world heal everyone, give everyone food, everyone mm. housing all at once and solve all the ills in the world. <laughs>
6: well, that's right. I think you're you've got it there because uh, we are fallen men too, Fall, fallen mankind, you know, and uh it's not his fault. It's it's largely our own fault because we put ourselves in a lot of these positions that we uh, that we find ourselves in. And uh, these unfortunate positions, these positions where we have to suffer a lot and um you know, it's it's not his fault. It's many times it's our fault, and and when we do suffer for it, we come out better. I think a lot of, a lot of times because we learn we learn our lesson, and that's our big problem. They don't want to give to to uh, allow people to have these lessons, these very important lessons for living. You know, a a happy life.
0: Absolutely. Now, one of the things that caught me in um, the debate last night was Mayor Pete. Hmm. And I kind of like did a double take When you did it And I saved this clip for you Deliberately mm-hmm. found it and, and I pulled it up And I want to get your reaction <laughs> Uh oh something else is playing in the background What the heck do I have here going Just Oh I forgot to turn off the uh, the song from the dedication Okay my bad So let mm-hmm. me bring this clip up of Mayor Pete And I want to get your reaction to this
3: you have got to talk about one other thing Because the Republican Party <laughs> Likes to cloak itself In the language of religion Now, our party doesn't talk about that as much, largely for a very good reason, which was we are committed to the separation of church and state, and we stand for people of any religion and people of no religion, but we should call out hypocrisy when we see it. And for a party that associates itself with Christianity, to say that it is okay to suggest that God would smile on the division of families at the hands of federal agents, that God would condone. Putting children in cages has lost all claim to ever use religious language again. Vice President. Alex- <laughs> yes. <Yeah.
6: laughs> no, I mean it's that's pure demagoguery. I mean it just it just doesn't make sense at all. And uh, he's uh, I mean he's playing the card and just I, I I I just it's just outrageous what he's saying there because uh, we're. These people are coming to our country, and we are providing them with so many so many so many things you know that is christian charity and when sometimes uh the overwhelming volume of these people coming over has overwhelmed the system, uh don't blame the system you know that and that, that that's what I think he's doing
0: well, you know what really gets me is that the ignorance of American history yeah. has he forgotten the black robe regiment
4: that yeah, led from uh... the
0: pulpit? And then later on the battlefields, how many of our generals and soldiers were men of the cloth?
6: Yeah, 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 exactly. And we've, yeah, our whole history is that way. And uh, you know, it's funny. I just wrote an article that just said how the Democratic Party is now associating a lot with, with Satanist. And uh, you know, there there are even, uh, books of uh, called, um, you know, Satanist or, witches activism, witches is, witches is resistance and spells for. Political means, you know how to how to launch spells for politics, and I mean they're they're not they're not really uh, you know they they are they are also in in making this a religious fight, but from the other side.
0: Well, actually, it's a lot more prevalent than than people realize, because we had the call to prayer, the starting of the assemblies, not just yeah. in Alaska. Uh, but okay. in several other states, um, you have in Arizona they want to put up a huge Satan statue.
3: Yeah, um You yeah.
0: have children as young as five exposed to Satan clubs, and you know I was watching the ads for TV shows last night, and it struck okay. me quite a long time ago that they get more and more macabre, uh, yeah, more yeah. and more, and also now the evil and bad guy seems to be the good guy. And Mm -hmm. those of us that are of the faith are the bad guys.
3: Right. Yeah, no, very much so.
0: and It's not something new. This has been going on for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. And it's so insidious in society that we accept it as normal now. This is the new norm.
6: Right. Yeah, I mean – we are we are religious people uh, man, man mankind by nature humanity by nature is religious <laughs> and some way you have to fulfill that need whether it be on the side of god or on the other side but uh, it it has an enormous attraction for us all and i think that's one reason why they are they are going this route because just the dry secular way of looking at life doesn't really attract a lot of people they need something mystical they need something that will satisfy that that desire that's part of our part of our makeup.
0: Yeah, now you were out there, uh I don't know if you I think you were personally out there with a bunch of other people. Uh with, at the Kenai Peninsula Borough Public Assembly back in June. Uh, this is June. We're not too June, yes. right? We're still <laughs> a little <laughs> about ten days ago. Right,
6: and, yeah. Um, I wasn't I yeah, I, I, we sent a delegation there and I unfortunately wasn't there. I would have loved to be there in Alaska but they were there and they were uh uh it was amazing the uh, how this, this issue has divided the community and, you know, how they what's just say, uh, Hail Satan, you know, it, that isn't what we're all about.
0: That's not what America's all about. You know, it, it's funny because they, they, they're equating uh, Christianity to Republicans. And, you know, mm-hmm. by doing that, they may have just lost a large of their Baptist base here in the mm-hmm. South, the heavy Bible belt where I'm in.
3: You know, right, how many yeah.
0: Baptists are, are faithful Christians, and all of a sudden here they vote Democrat, heavily Democrat. You know, you've got mm-hmm. the, the African-American Baptist churches down here, and mm-hmm. they've been lifelong. Their parents were that. Their parents' parents were that. Their children are Democrats. But mm-hmm. yet they are highly Christian people. And when you yeah. see these individuals, these, these Democrats up on the stage saying, well, Christianity is associated with Republican Party. Well, thank you. you. Just gave me a bunch of voters over here for Trump. Thank you. It, did that make? Any <laughs> I sense? think so. Yeah, you definitely have a
6: point there because uh, you know if, if you want to play identity politics, let's let's uh, we don't have any problem being called Christian.
0: No, but yet we had the right Reverend Jesse Jackson, a Democrat, a Christian Democrat. It was perfectly okay for him to run for president and to run for other elected offices along with his son. Uh, but not today. What happened between then and now?
6: Well, I mean, uh, you you do have uh, there are the Christians who who are leftists and who have taken the message of the gospel and and applied it to Marxist uh, ideas, you know, class struggle ideas that Christ represents the poor against the rich, the you know, the haves and then the have-nots. And they just they take advantage of the gospel, and you know, have used that narrative to for, to support their own. And uh, you know, that is obviously wrong, and it doesn't uh, it do, it mis it distorts the gospel. And I think we have to we I've I mean we have to really fight against this because it 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 doesn't represent what Christ said. Christ was uh, was a completely opposite.
0: You know, I, I love it when oh I'm oh, sorry, go ahead, Curtis. This is my co-host
5: Curtis Bennett. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> huh. Isn't isn't it true that um the Democrats are adept at um framing their their policies in a Christian type, you know, manner in other words, you know. When we look at um the border issue, mm-hmm. um they they take a Christian approach to it, you know, to to get people to go along with their policies by saying, "Look, you know, um, Jesus wouldn't, you know, turn away people. You know, let them come across the border. You know, because um, right, yeah. we we are brothers keeper and things mm-hmm. like that. Totally ignoring ignoring um, laws that are in place and um, really that a lot of these people coming here are not in dire straits.
6: Right, they're and their economics, they they want yeah. a better life. But
5: everybody wants a so better life. Do, <laughs> you know that's the big problem. How do we yes, fight that though? how do we fight that you know in other words um when they frame things in a religious context to get people to go along with their policies how do we counter that
6: well i mean i think we do have to point out that we are, we are doing a lot for these people already in a, in a very christian way by extending to them the thing, the a lot of these the, the things that they are receiving but at the same time uh, you know I, I i was it's funny that the the Bible says has a whole immigration policy in it in the in the Old testament, and the the Bible says you know that treat the the stranger well, but it doesn't say to receive them into the country to be a citizen they there if you look at I'm, I think it's in exodus i'm not sure, but and in deuteronomy they have uh, different uh, they, they have uh, guidelines on how God told the Israel is Israel, the Israelite Israeli Israelite people to deal with the immigrants and said that no you have to let them integrate into the society that it's not just to become to not to let them in just at random so biblically speaking they you know they the bible supports our way of uh, looking at it and not so much their way
0: I'd go even further than that. When Christ returned after the resurrection and he was there in the room bestowing the Holy Spirit upon his disciples, he -hmm. did not say, send the message out to have people come in. He said, go out to them, which is why he gave them the gift of tongues, so they could adapt to the other countries, not for the other countries to come in and adapt to them. He said, go out not English. Definitely
6: a very very good point. A very, very good point because that is exactly yeah, that that's exactly it. And uh you know, we we need to look at causes as well because, you know, there are people who do suffer in other countries, but shouldn't we try to help resolve the problem there and at least try to look at that problem and not assume that it's a foregone you know, that we must write it off and receive everybody there. We need to also look at the what's the cause of why these people are coming here and, and to try to deal with that those problems or Put policies in place that'll make it make it better.
5: Even more so, I we have mention- to look at the motivation <laughs> motivation of those who want them to come here. Like most people here know that the Democrats want these people voters. here because they they need the votes. You know, right? Mm-hmm. So you know we see through it, but a lot of Americans don't. Yeah, and it's, it's no, just, you know,
6: the whole narrative is very emotional, and they try to make it as, as emotional as possible, and that, that definitely, uh, you know, it takes away some of the rational aspect of it, which is the most important. We need to be rational and to, to you know, to be very logical and say, no, this will not work.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Now, Beverly posted a link in the chat room about sexual deviance and kids, which is the very next thing that was up in my hand, because tomorrow – You've got something going on in Raleigh, North Carolina at Medicine Mama's Pharmacy. Um, there's a drag queen story hour that will take place for Catch This, guys. If this isn't sexual deviancy and child abuse, I don't know what is. Hmm. Children between the age of three to six years old uh, will be read um, these stories. Uh, uh, the drag queen story hour Uh,
3: this is sick yeah
6: it is it is man dressed as women
3: yeah
6: and and reading to these these young people uh, stories that are lgbt friendly stories children's stories and you know, saying, "Well, you can be one too. You can be a drag queen as well. You can do as you know. You you can uh, change your identity or be gender fluid." So I mean, this is child abuse. This is absolutely child abuse, and it's all over the country. They're trying to get these in, and we've been very strong. We've been very active in trying in having protests against these 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 things, and some of them have been very successful. They have canceled some of them and uh, or postponed them or. They, they're definitely on the defensive because they see people are reacting.
0: Yeah, and uh, there was – I'm looking for the article because there was one where um, <clears throat> Sparkle Lee, the drag queen, uh, was doing a church service. And the hymn they sang was God Welcomes All. Yes, God does welcome all, but he also gave us free choice and free will. You mm. choose what you're going to do to your body. Right. Yeah. Fine. We will, we will accept the sinner, but does not mean we have to accept the sin. We will guide you. We will talk to you. We will counsel you, and but we will still love you no matter what. But when when you, I'm getting upset and angry because when I think about <laughs> I something like this it's going on inside a do. church, it, it, yeah. it gets me so. Because I don't know if you're aware, I belong to a. The church I belong to here in South Carolina is being uh-huh. sued by the Episcopal Episcopal Church because uh-huh. at one point in 1965, we put a lot of our property in trust. Uh-huh. Not in, We didn't cede it to them. We just gave it to them in holding. And the knowledge that in the future, should we part our ways, the property would return to us. So consequently, when they went very liberal
4: and yeah. they decided uh-huh. to
0: have uh, same-sex marriages and a lot of the other things that we do not believe in, we believe in the gospel and following the New Testament as Christ you know, gave it to us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we said, no, you know, thank you very much. I think it's time we back out and we go our own separate ways. They are suing us for our property mm-hmm. to one point okay. where the female bishop turned around and said, um, I would rather see your church, a church that was built in 1712
4: mm-hmm. that
0: was seen the Revolutionary War has seen the Civil War, our church—that right. was the church you saw in Gone with the Wind, depicted by Margaret Mitchell—that oh burned by well, Sherman. That's our mm-hmm. Serenity Chapel. Mm-hmm.
4: See
0: that being threatened, and they're trying to stifle our faith. And when you see something like this, Sparkle Lee doing a church service, and it, it just—it it is now so prevalent throughout our land. They're trying to split us, destroy us, shame us, and shut our mouths.
6: Right. Yeah. No, definitely, and we and we have to fight back. I mean, I think that's the only real way out because they're not going to leave us alone. <laughs> you have to fight back, and uh, you know, you just have to say no. You have to you know, just
0: uh,
6: be be the activist that I'm sure you are. You already are. I'm not. Uh, I'm preaching
0: to the choir here. <laughs> <laughs> well, just so that you know, uh, John, this is how much of an activist is. I came across an article uh, about our church and the surrounding Chapel. Up, it's, it's in a town called Yemesee, which is about uh, 45 minutes away from the main church. And, you know, once a year we have a service there where the congregation comes in. We have the service. We have a nice picnic afterwards. We open it up to tourists and for members of the congregation to have weddings and other ceremonies there. And we've been very, very generous. But it's gotten to the point where it's been vandalized so much so that we found bricks from the church itself being sold by someone who stole them and put them up on oh eBay.
3: Gosh. Oh, my gosh.
4: Wow. We had a
0: topless model in the church there posing for photographs, a topless model in our Oof, sanctified gosh. church. Right. So our pastor decided to put a fence around the area to help protect it until we can determine how to help restore the damage being done. And we mm-hmm. actually closed off the area and said, until we can get the grounds repaired, we figure out how to restore it. So this one liberal woman decided to start a petition. And she doesn't know, I know personally, the, clerk, the court clerk here in town. We've known each other for a long number of years. And uh, she said, started this petition to turn that church into a public government park.
6: Mm. I guess so. Um...
0: Can you believe this? She wants to take by eminent domain, by a mm-hmm. petition to our county clerk, saying, "I want you to initiate proceedings to take this away because they're not protecting their property." Uh, huh. No, we've been protecting it. We were just too generous, and you abused it. And we just said, "Up, ah, enough!" Slapped your hand, and now you're pissed off. So I right. did a counter. And I was very, very generous, and I said, "Well, it's really nice and altruistic of you to think about you know helping us preserve this property." And I went on to say, you know, um, maybe if you're so interested, maybe you may want to change your petition into something that's a fundraiser to help us raise funds to help restore the property. And right. let us, that are members of this church, that do use it for our services, know how to preserve it. And there are graves that go back to Revolutionary War here. We know how to preserve the our members that are lying in rest here best than anyone else. And I was right, very sure. generous about it. So I put a counter-petition up, so anyone listening that wants to sign the counter-petition, it's on the show page. Click on it. So, yes, I, I, it, this is something when you talk about an attack on faith, which you talk about in your book, in your mm-hmm. podcast, and in your website that people can find at returntoorder.org. These are the subjects you address.
6: Yes, definitely. I mean, we're in the culture of war, and we want to, you know, we, we're, we're engaged, and we have to stay engaged. That's uh, how I look at it.
0: And you do a wonderful job because if people go there, you talk about um, why happy people don't commit suicide. You, you address a lot of issues, including socialism, how one yeah. specific company was trying it and found that it doesn't work. The free market does work. You, mm-hmm. you bring up issues about the satanic cult and about the child abuse with the uh, LBGT community and the transgender lessons. These are all things you address on your, your website, your book, and your podcast.
6: Definitely, yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's where we feel. That's I, I think that's really where the real battle's uh, being held right now. Is you know, it is. There's a lot of politics involved. There's a lot of economic problems that are involved. But if you don't have a a, a moral fiber in the in in the, in a country, or you don't have a moral basis, uh, nothing will work. So we have to really get involved. I think in that that field.
0: Now, one of the things I found on your website was a petition. Uh, Because a lot of these liberal websites, and it happened to me, I got censured today, uh, Mm -hmm. such as Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these others. If you've got a conservative voice out there, your hand is being slapped. Now, Mm -hmm. I went to put up the ad, which I've been doing this show for nine going on almost ten years. Never had this done before. They said, oh, you've got a political or a social issue uh, website here. Uh, so you have to go through all of these little steps before we can approve you putting an ad out there to let people know that your show's out there. This mm-hmm. has suddenly changed overnight, right, and we're yeah. finding that they're they're changing the algorithms to influence the election as well as our faith. And these are again, when I was reading your book, I had started mocking it. I was mocking Facebook, Google, and then of course when I went onto your website, I saw the petition and saying. <laughs> Birds of a feather, we think together. <laughs> Definitely,
6: there. I mean, yes, exactly. And we, you, you know, they, they do have that, that power. But you just have to. It's not easy. I, I we haven't been really, we haven't had major issues yet. But uh, we're expecting them. I mean, you're expect, we're expecting Facebook and others to, you know, to do, to, to try to, to stifle us. But at the same time, I, I think the, the platform of Facebook and Twitter and others is not nearly as powerful as they say it is i mean even the most uh... you know a lot of the marketers they say that twitter and facebook are really just vehicles to get people to your website the website is the most important so um that's how i see it but we we definitely are there but uh... we're expecting <laughs> we can we're expecting that we will be uh... eventually uh... targeted
0: now I, i've been already shadow banned on twitter a couple of times i've been shadow banned on reddit uh, now I'm getting Facebook that is, you know, censoring me. Uh, mm-hmm. So hey, I've got the red red flag of courage on me. Yeah, uh, yeah you're doing something to...
6: right. That's for sure. You're doing something <laughs> right. That's
0: that's that's true. And you put quotes around the word right. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> now um, that's true. I, I, I had to get, I had to get a kick out of this because we've had Ma- Milo Yiannopoulos on our show, and, and believe it or not, he is a Catholic. Uh, but he's involved in Boston's Straight Pride Parade, and that left me cracking up because everyone mm-hmm. knows Milo is married to a man, even though mm-hmm. he stays, you know, a faithfully Catholic. Uh, but what's your take about Boston attempting this Straight Pride Parade? And I, we've been all screaming, "If you have a gay pride, why can't we have a straight pride? What is wrong with that?"
6: Right. I mean, it should. Uh, it, it. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think it's. Uh it 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 really is not something to be to 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 celebrate i mean uh, it, this is this, uh, this um politicization or weaponization of sexuality is just something that is uh really horrible i mean a person is not defined by their sexuality they're defined by who they are and what they what they do and their you know their character and we we've turned it all into just this uh this, this cesspool of you know se- sexuality everything is sexual everything has to be has to be done along that line and I think it just it's that's not the way it 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 should be.
0: No, it shouldn't be. And they had a gay pride parade here in my county just the other day, and I was like, why do you have to parade this around? You know, I I don't go mm-hmm. strutting out of my bedroom going, hey, my husband and I just did it. I couldn't care less what you do behind closed doors. Just treat me equally as a human being, and we'll get along fine. Mm-hmm. What is wrong with that? Why do you have to wear your sexuality on your sleeve as if it's a badge of courage? Who cares? And when we were Yeah, I mean, they the want blood, to say it's
6: something I- that that you're born that way, or you are you. Are, it's part of your g- genetic makeup, which is cannot even cannot be proved, because then it takes the guilt away. It takes any type of you know any type of uh, choice away, and says, "Well, oh, I can't help it." I think that's why they want to do it. So they they go to this identity politics as saying, well, everything uh, you know, everybody's born that way, or not born that way, or half born that way, or whatever you know. They, but it's not my fault. none, none of it's all my fault.
0: No, and it's like uh, who was it? Was it Castro that said that he would provide abortions for men? And I'm like, uh, oh. is there a problem with this one here?
6: Oh, well, last uh, night at one I... of the uh the debate, yeah, that uh, was just crazy. <laughs> I mean, it, it, for them it is the whole abortion debate is something that's uh ideological. It's not uh, it's not medical. It's it's an ideological thing that they, they that they're it's part of their ideology to uh to make any to, uh, any uh to make any act uh without consequences so that you can have the uh, total uh sexuality in a way everything is allowed and has no consequences so they need abortion abortion is something that is 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 not medical it's ideolo- ideological
0: John uh, John it has been such, well, Curtis, we've got to go because we've got our next guest coming up. John, it has been so much fun having you on. There's so much more to talk about. But I'm telling people, go to your website, which is returntoorder.org, and the book is Return to Order. They can get it on the website there. Uh, it it yeah. is an excellent book. I enjoyed it very much, and I thank you for joining us. And we'll have you back on. You're, it, there's so You're right. much I, more to talk about. Right, and I wasn't a victim. I,
6: was, I enjoyed it, uh, enjoyed it entirely. <laughs> it was great. Good. <laughs> so
0: well, I'll be a victim
6: again.
0: So just, just give me a call. <laughs> All, right. All
6: right. Our pleasure. All right. Check out John Horvath.
0: Me. All right. And we will be back in a few moments. I've got to make a call out to our next guest. So while we're doing that, I am going to do a shameless, shameless plug for My Patriot Supply, uh, which you can check out on my website. And here we go. just call 888-441-7290 or go to com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense, and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, and click on the icon for my pantry food. Well, if you want to insist, you can still go to eight 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 four four one seven two nine zero, or go to my website Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle, southern All dot com. Be- All right, and we're back, Curtis. We got our next victim up in the bullpen. She is the spokesperson for We Build the Wall dot us, and oh boy, is there a lot going down on the border. We have. A lot to talk about, so let's welcome aboard ah, the victim of the hour, Jennifer Lawrence. Good afternoon, Jennifer. How are you doing today?
7: Good afternoon. How are you?
0: Man, um, it started off, we build the wall as an idea a long time ago, and it's really snowballed, and it, it is such a wonderful idea and site that you have going on. And I love that the website brings you, as you're going through, um, oh good lord! Oh, the engineer, uh, I just I can see his burly face. I forgot his name. Oh jeez. Uh, Foreman Mike
7: or Foreman, Brian Colfage.
0: Foreman Mike. Foreman Mike,
7: and <laughs> yes. he gives you the
0: update. It It is so fun.
7: Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and we, you know, it actually hasn't been that long since we started this. Uh, Brian Colfage. Uh, who's the triple amputee war veteran? Actually, just uh, thought of this two weeks before Christmas of this past year. Um, and within two within 10 days, we had raised $20 million. And uh, from there, we moved it off the GoFundMe platform um, and we made it a 501c4 um, where we created We Build the Wall.
0: Well, you know, I have to apologize because you had just had a wall-a-thon marathon. Uh, between mm-hmm. June 24th and 26th, uh, during that time, I was in the hospital. I got rushed to the hospital because I really did want to oh, be no. online and watch. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I- I'm recuperating. I I had gone for some uh, heart I'm surgery glad you're and. Okay. Yeah, I had gone through some heart surgery and the medication they gave me did a little whoops. So by the time I got home I spent about twenty four hours home and then got rushed back to the hospital. Fun and oh, games. No. but you had a marathon, a wallathon, and I think you raised somewhere close to three quarters of a million in just two three days.
7: Yeah, um, I'd have to double-check on those numbers. But, we, you know, the outpouring of support across the country is just unbelievable. Um, And it's not just from one party. It's from both parties. It's from people who don't even care about politics. But they know the importance of having a sovereign nation, having a border wall, and not allowing people just to free flow into our country without being checked.
0: You know, you had to have a real laugh when you watched the debates. Did you watch them over the last two nights? I did.
4: (laughs) Well, Well, I I, I had a horse.
7: It's crazy. It's crazy (laughs) that they're just able to, you know, it's one thing wanting to translate for people who um, might not speak um, very good English, but it's another thing when you speak Spanish first and then translate it into English. That's not okay. You speak to the American people first, and then you can speak to others.
0: I I thought it was so condescending. I honestly did. And I I guess I wasn't the only one because today I was listening to Fox News uh, and I caught one of the commentators say the same exact thing. It was just so condescending in the manner in which they did it. And I found it was funny that the two non-Latinos were the ones that started it off on the first debate. And I'm like, okay.
7: Uh, But this is their mentality. it is, and it's their mentality to have a moment of silence um, for, uh, you know, for uh, illegal immigrants, but they can't find a moment of silence for victims of illegal immigration, um, people who are just going about their everyday lives that were murdered by someone who shouldn't even have been in this country at all. And many times Democrat representatives don't even reach out to those angel families. So the fact that they can have a moment of silence for people who shouldn't even be here in the first place and not Americans is absolutely disgusting and why they're not in power and why they're not going to be in power.
0: Well, you know, I, I read the the story on the father and daughter that, you know, died tragically. You know, you, you do mourn for something like that, but you know, what, I, what, they didn't tell you about this whole story is that the city of Juarez that they were in, you know, someone, a stranger, another person, another refugee approached them and told them this is not a safe place to go. It wasn't a government official uh, from Mexico. It wasn't someone from uh, the U.S. Immigration Service. It was not an official. It was just another refugee who said, hey, that's not safe. Don't do it. And yet they spun the story as if we told them, don't even try. And yet he decided to try anyway. He comes across with the daughter. They're safe. The wife is flattering. He goes back for the wife. The daughter jumps in, and then he tries to rescue him, and then tragically they drown. They don't tell the whole story. They tell it to the point where, oh, your heart has to break. Yes, it does break. But get the whole truth out there. You know, they weren't denied refugee status. They weren't denied. Exactly.
7: No, they didn't. (laughs) Go no, ahead, it, it's crazy, and this is, this is the misinformation that's being, you know, put out there. You know, they, you have a child, right, and you're a parent. You don't put your child in danger. You don't put them in a position where they could be in danger so you can get somewhere illegally. Because even if you're asking for asylum once you get here, you are still entering our country illegally. That is breaking the law. You cannot do that.
0: You know, what gets me is that it made it sound like these people applied for asylum and were denied. They didn't. They never did. Just someone said, well, you can't cross that way. And don't forget, I tried to get asylum. It didn't work, so don't even try there. Another refugee discouraged them. You know, And, and they, at the debate, they kept on repeating seven children died in custody. Uh, yeah, most of them came across with very serious diseases that by the time they got here, we couldn't do anything from them for them. So, yeah, they're going to die in custody. People die because of illnesses. And yet they ignored that 20 times Breitbart reported on migrants' deaths during the Obama-Biden years. And you know what? No one cared. 20 times. And I I went through the 20 – I'm sorry. I I just want to mention I went through the 20 times on the ones I could count, and I counted during the uh, Obama years 811 that I could count. And yet the articles also had others that were – in the hundreds without saying the actual number. But we're guilty of seven children dying in our custody.
7: Yeah. And, you know, it's crazy. Obama and Biden used to support a border wall. They used to support, you know, closing off this country and not letting people in here illegally. But once they realized that they could benefit from people coming here illegally, they sure changed their tune, didn't they?
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And who brought the cages down there? It wasn't Trump. Was it? Nope. No, <laughs> no. No, no. And, and this is the hypocrisy of the left uh, because they had a protest today, I believe it was in Texas at one of the holding facilities. And they're, they're, oh, concentration camps and all these signs and everything else. And, you know, I thought America was about something different. When they had the Wayfair protests, because Wayfair, and I'm sure they sold them at a discount to a non-government agency that was a non-profit charity trying to help these these immigrants or I should say illegal aliens to be honest about it getting them off the floor onto beds Uh, normally when we as Americans in the past we would open our hearts our purses we would load up trucks of blankets medical supplies diapers formula shoes clothing whatever toiletries And we would drive those trucks down there and say, hey, listen, the government's not giving you enough help. Let us help you make these people more comfortable until they can be properly processed. That's what we did in the past. So what has changed? Why are these people stopping us from helping them instead of helping them themselves?
7: You know, I wouldn't – it's, it's difficult, right, because they're being taken advantage of, and they're being taken advantage of in a lot of ways. Um, you go to places like Juarez, and Juarez is one of the most dangerous cities in, this, in, in the world. And it is, it is disturbing that we think just poor migrants are coming over that border illegally. If a poor migrant can exploit our border, so can a well-funded terrorist organization. And they are operating in Mexico. And they could be taking advantage of those people and having them come here. Those people – and, you know, we are incentivizing them to come here. When you have sanctuary cities telling people, if you make it to America, if you make it across the border, if you get your your, um, little piece of paper that says, you know, you have a court date in in six years, please show up for your court date, which, by the way, 90% don't show up for their court date, Um, you know – They are being told to come to these cities, and ICE is not going to question you. Our police force isn't going to question you. You can live among the population as an illegal, breaking our laws, and we will help you. We will give you EBT cards. We will give you whatever you need. We can't find the time to help our own Americans, our own veterans, yet we can find time to help people who came here, broke our laws, and who are taking advantage of our country. And we're not allowing this anymore. And that is why we are building a wall. And we built the wall. And now we're going to build more wall.
0: Well, you know, I I know in one one particular town, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember what the name of the town is. They did try to stop you. Um, Sunland Park in New Mexico. Has that been ever rectified? Because the last I heard, they were still fighting over the permits.
7: Yeah, so what happened was is uh, we started building the wall um, Friday night uh, at 5 o'clock of Memorial Day weekend because we know our great government employees, you know, they don't really pay attention to what's going on until they get back into the office. When they issued us our permits originally, and we had building inspectors come out Thursday and look at our concrete pour and look at what we were doing They never thought by the time they got back in on Tuesday that we were going to have 85% of the job done. We are going to have almost the entire (laughs) wall done. So when they got back into the office on Tuesday, there was a complete panic from the governor's office on down that how dare we do this, that we didn't have the right to do this, and they issued a stop-work permit. They sent the sheriff's department out and told us that we had to stop working. Um, But we have some really great lawyers out of D.C. who actually had to come and tell and show the officials of Sunland Park that they were actually overstepping their bounds, that legally they did not have a case to stop our work order. So they were, they were told that they had to reissue our work permits. And when they realized that they didn't even know their own law that was on the book, they reissued us our work permits, and we were able to finish that wall in, in 10 days.
0: Wow, hmm. 10 days. And our, our government can't do it, and you guys are doing it section by section and donation by donation. Amazing. Uh, webuildthewall.us. Go ahead, Curtis. You had a question.
5: Yeah, I was just going to note that they never mention these um, illegal criminals who come here and kill our, our citizens. You'll you never hear the left talk about that. And as far as sanctuary cities, I think a, couple of months ago that uh, Trump was thinking about dropping a lot of these um, illegals into these cities and um, they balked at it it was amazing that you know <laughs> these same people that want these people to come here when Trump said okay I'll send them all to your cities sanctuary cities they they balked at it
7: Well, and Cory Booker did the American people an amazing justice at that point. He turned around and off the collar said, well, it's going to increase crime. Well, if it's going to increase crime, but they they come here and they don't commit crime, according to the Democrats. How is it going to increase crime if these people are just coming here, you know, to live the American dream? And some of them are. But there are factions like MS-13, and there are, like I said, there are terrorist organizations in this world that want to destroy America. And when they see poor migrants crossing our border unchecked, coming into America, that is an open opportunity to get taken advantage of. And we are tired of watching this happen. We are tired of watching innocent Americans die. Yet the Democrats, again, want to have, you know, a moment of silence last night in the debate, Um, but they can't find a moment of silence or even they can't find the telephone to pick up the phone and call their constituents who have been affected by illegal alien crime and say they're sorry.
0: You know, I'm, I had a friend of mine, a fellow NYPD officer, and people, listeners know that I lost him back in 1989. Uh, he was killed by an illegal immigrant in the line of duty. Um, he was deported three times by another friend of mine who was an INS agent. Um, I don't know if you know Mike Cutler. I've known him for about 30-some-odd years, and he deported this illegal immigrant three times, and the guy came back and killed my friend police officer, Bob Um this has been going on for decades. I'm talking about 1989. This is happening still today, only it's more blatant, it's more open, and it's involving gangs, involving not, not so much drugs anymore. It's more profitable for the human trafficking. There was one 10-year-old girl they brought over that they found samples of 20 different sets of semen in her. and it, 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 uh, This is what they're doing, and this is horrific and if we don't stop them from crossing the human trafficking is going to get worse if they can't get across then what's the point of finding someone to human traffic if you can't get across you may save that person's life from being kidnapped or sold into you know human prostitution if we say we shut this down and they can't get across then what is the point
7: you understand what i'm saying no and I- I do, and you bring up a, a, an amazing point. Um, so I'm born and raised in New York. Uh, my grandpa was an FDNY NYPD officer. Um, so I've watched that city grow and change, and over the years. Um, but there's one thing that's really disturbing. So six months ago, the the biggest story coming out of the border was that there was a measles outbreak in in the detention camp oh, yeah. or in the in the detention centers. Um, And if you overlay the map of where they sent illegal immigrants from those detention centers to areas in the United States, that's where we're having measles outbreaks. Um, And they're trying to blame the Orthodox Jewish community of New York, and they're also trying to blame the non-vaxxers, but if they've lived in this country for years and never was exposed to this and then all of a sudden we have an influx of people that if i go to some of those countries i have to get a series of shots before i can go there because i'm going to be exposed to diseases and sicknesses that we in america we don't have in america but we're letting these people come in unchecked and if they are being checked they it's being overlooked and they're being sent to places like new york like westchester county and uh, now we're having a huge measles outbreak. And in Brooklyn, this is, it is not by accident. And, and the government and people think we're stupid and that we can't figure out, like, oh, well, there was a measles outbreak here. And then you sent those people to New York, and now there's a measles outbreak there. What are, what are we doing? We are allowing sick people into this country. And if they're not sick when they're crossing the border with measles, it could take up to two weeks for symptoms to show. So we don't know what the heck is going on here, and we are just letting people come in unchecked. You know,
0: in the past, we had Ellis Island. Everyone had to come through. Everyone had to get screened. And you had to be quarantined for a certain period of time. And after that period of time, if you show symptom-free of anything, then you're allowed to proceed. Two of my grandparents came through Ellis Island. And they went through the whole procedure. And, you know, today... They come across, there's no TSA screening, there's no medical screening. As soon as they come across, they get put on a bus and sent who knows where. You've got outbreaks of not just measles, mumps, tuberculosis. Uh, There's L.A. cops that came down with other highly (laughs) contagious disease. Yeah. Uh, Now they have quarantined on the border three individuals. They don't know what they have. It's possible it's Ebola. And they're still running tests on these individuals. Thankfully, they've quarantined them. But if they don't even know what they have, but they know they have something, and yet these people are coming over by the thousands day by day, and what are they going to do to the population of Americans that haven't seen these diseases in decades? We thought for 20 years ago a lot of these things were already wiped out, yellow fever, Things like that are coming through that we've never had to be vaccinated against. And now you're going to see American citizens dying of these diseases.
7: Well, what I don't understand is they make us get the flu vaccine every year because there's different strains of flu that come out every year and it morphs and it does all that stuff. And I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. But I'm a little confused that, okay, I got this measles shot when I was a kid. You're telling me it's going to protect me from all of this stuff that, like, it wasn't in the shot, right? Are we going to have to get revaccinated to, you know, to protect ourselves? Like, are we going to have to revaccinate the population of our country because we are allowing illegals to come in here because the Democrats are benefiting by it?
5: Actually, you will have to get another <laughs> shot. <laughs> I mean, that's my right? saying. Uh, every time they, they think something's going to, um, be an outbreak a year from now that's why they they want us to get inoculated because it's a new strain strain so yeah you will have to um get another shot and another shot when something else come out
7: so then aren't we all technically unvaccinated then right so why are we blaming the anti-vax people so (laughs) it's just it's crazy they got. They have to have the straw
0: man to blame, and it's easier to go after the the Orthodox Jew. Oh, by the way, you notice they go after the Orthodox Jew, not the Muslim population that is also not being vaccinated. You know, just go after the Orthodox Jew. They're the easy straw man to go. You know, uh, it's yeah. all a political study. And you notice the anti-Semitism in that at the same time.
7: No, but we don't. They they don't worry about that. Right, Because Democrats all the time, they, they marginalize people of different races, <laughs> different creeds, and, and they think that's okay. But God forbid a Republican comes out and says even anything that's off the cuff, I mean, we make them pay with their careers, their lives, and everything else. I mean, it, the, the, the hypocrisy of the Democrat Party is just unbelievable, but it's really, it's really satisfying that the American people are waking up to that. And even Democrats themselves are waking up to it and saying, well, wait a second. What about this? What about this? You know, people are starting to ask questions. And that's when things get done, when people start questioning what's happening. And that's what we showed that We built the Wall. We took that money that we raised and we hired private industry, just like they did with the Transcontinental Railroad. And we built it in 10 days, something which would have taken the government years, which is why the government of Sunland Park just said, go ahead, build, because they thought it was going to take us months. And that is, that is, that is going back to the whole problem is that with government, everything is so, um, it's so difficult. It's, it, 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 there's red tape. You have to go through this committee and that committee, even if it's something so important that's going to impact people's lives in a positive way they will still hold it up and that's what we proved is that the american people can stand up and do it for themselves and if our government officials are going to go to dc and forget why they're there and forget that they're supposed to be representing us and making our lives better then we were go- we're going to stand up and do it ourselves and we will show them that yes they might have a cushy job now but come november they're not going to have that cushy job because we've shown them that they are they are completely useless in dc <laughs> You know, I always hear the argument, well, what about the people
0: that live on the border there? They've had land there that goes centuries back. You know, it's heirs' property. You're going to cross right through. Uh, What are you going to do about that when they can't have the grazing land and blah, 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 blah? What are those actual landowners telling you?
7: So you know there there's two kinds of uh, there's two kinds of people who live on the border. There's the people who see the problem and and actually they all are being affected by it. Um, but unfortunately the the cartel has such a stronghold on some people um, that you know some people will actively work against the wall because they're making more money on the backside with the cartel than they would if the wall went up and we stop this. But you have people who like the landowner we work with at the American Eagle Brick Company, you know, they had to shut down operation because they were being completely overrun by illegals. I think the first night there we had our crews there, there was 400 people that came running through in the middle of the night. And where we built was one of the most highly trafficked areas um, in, on, on the El Paso sector. And when you cross in the El Paso sector, you actually have to pay more to the coyotes because it, it's seen as a luxury because you're going, because you cross and you're immediately into El Paso into a big population center. So it's easier to disappear. Um, but people on the border are suffering and they're suffering in ways that no American should suffer and the people who are benefiting by the by the cartel, um, they are doing such a disservice to all Americans. Um, you know, you have people who you know live in northern in New York or places like that who say, you know, the border issues really don't affect me. I need to worry about this. And some of the times they'll say, I need to worry about like the heroin epidemic or the opioid epidemic. Um, what they don't realize is that heroin and that those opioids and that fentanyl that is killing people at high rates in New York, my I've lost friends. You know, that was probably trafficked over the U.S. Mexico border. And if there was a border wall, that fentanyl would have never been able to get through the country. Um, and you know, we wouldn't have this epidemic. But you no, know, people don't want to pay attention to that. But everything. Um, like the heroin epidemic, is being affected by issues coming across the border. So the, the immigration, the border issue affects everyone in places and in, in ways that they never even expected.
0: Well, it's not only that. You know, as the drugs move, someone has to move it. So they have an illegal that will mm-hmm. traffic it. So if you have, say, for example, an enclave of Hondurans in New York City or Newark, New Jersey, or Washington, D.C., or the Boston suburbs, they will go with the drugs and then blend into the community. So, yes, you're not only just getting the drugs, you're getting the illegal mule coming up there with their friends and family In masse. I mean, how many times have they caught truckloads and carloads of people coming through the, the main drags, the main highways, hundreds of miles inside the border, being smuggled into the heartland of the U.S.?
7: Well, what was interesting is um, – so. Where we built the wall, um, on one side, in on the Mexican side, there was a parking lot. And on the U.S. side, there was a parking lot. And what they were doing is they were trafficking women from Brazil. So you had these, like, really good-looking Brazilian women showing up in this parking lot, walking across the parking lot, getting into another Uber, and disappearing into El Paso unchecked. And then they would be brought to the airport and flown to Boston where they would live in, for lack of a better term, indentured servitude where they would work as prostitutes um, and work off their trip to the U.S. And then they'd be in the U.S. after they worked off their pay. So, I mean, this this isn't just poor people coming through. Like, they are trafficking people. They are bringing people from Brazil in South America to Cancun, driving them from Cancun to Juarez putting them in an Uber, and that's it. I mean, this this is crazy. Any other country in this world, you try to cross illegally, you either go to prison or you get shot. You, there's no country where you could just walk in and say, hey, I'm here now, pay me.
0: <laughs> I've said that many times. But now you also found there's a whole enclave of Cubans. You know, they stopped the uh, wet foot, dry foot for Cuban political refugees So now they said, well, you can't come into the United States anymore that way, so why don't we set up a Cuban community in the Juarez area? But, oh, wait, we can make more money if we set up a prostitution ring at the same time. So you're getting it Mm -hmm. not only just from Brazil, you're getting it from Cuba, but we're also finding Middle Easterners and Chinese. You're finding Koreans. It is other than Mexicans. You've got more than other than Mexicans coming across. It is like the world has said. Americans are suckers. The border border is porous. Come, let's get free stuff. And, oh, by the way, the two Democratic debates where they said free health care for illegal immigrants, not for our veterans, not for our homeless in the (laughs) streets, not for our senior citizens, but for illegal immigrants, they get the benefits that Americans won't get. Jennifer, it has been so much fun to have you with us. I'm going to have you back on. There's so much more to talk about, such as AOC is the gift that keeps on giving on the border. But people can find WeBuildTheWall.us. They can make an actual donation and get their name put on the wall if they want to, correct?
7: Yeah, we are selling bricks. We're actually selling the ballers, the up-and-down steel, um, I don't know, things on the wall. Um, Yeah, you can get your name (laughs) on there. Uh, We have a lot to offer. So, yeah, if you visit webuildthewall.us or any of our Facebook properties that we build the wall, all the information is there. And you can become part of history because not only are we stopping the illegal immigration problem, we're also sending a message to our politicians in
4: D.C.
0: Well, thank you, Jennifer. Bless you for the hard work. And I'm I'm definitely going to have you back on again. Like I said, there is so much more to talk about, even with the border uh, uh, legislation that just passed. I wish we had more time, but I got my next victim up in the bullpen. Jennifer, God bless you for the hard work you do.
7: Thank you. I always love talking to a fellow New Yorker. <laughs> Take care. Yes. Take
0: care. All right, Jennifer Lawrence. Check her out. Webuildthewall.us, and let's get our next victim on the on the line here. Uh, his name is Andrew Farley, and he's also a fellow. Uh, <laughs> my mind just went into a major brain fart. Uh, broadcaster. He's got a great book out uh, called Twisted Scriptures. Untangling Forty Five Lies Christians Have Been Told. And I gotta tell you, um, when I started reading his book, I, I said this before, I'll say it again. I started crying because someone actually gets it. Welcome aboard, Andrew. How are you today?
1: Hey, doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: I mean, I I've read the book cover to cover and I do not like uh, uh, interviewing authors unless I've read the book and they know this stuff. And um, I actually had gone to uh, my optometrist the other day, and I had the book with me, and I was just reviewing my notes with it. And the doctor happened to be a member of my parish, and I started recommending the book. And he looked at the title, and he sort of snorted. And there are a lot of books out there that kind of twist the scripture. And I said, no, no, doc, you got to understand, he gets it. He understands it the way you and I see it. He really does understand it. I said, I was crying when I read the first few chapters. You do. I mean, there is a way that you've got a lot of people out there preaching, but they twist it and they distort it. And if you haven't read the scriptures, you don't understand what they're doing to you. They're pulling the wool over your eyes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jesus said the truth would set a spree and I, I think that's real, and there are a lot of people out there that are teaching things that are not setting us free. Instead, you know, Christians can end up more miserable than ever, and when they're inviting other people to become a, a believer whenever they're ev- evangelizing, if they were truthful, they might as well say, would you like to become a Christian and be miserable like me? So that was my story. I was a young believer and miserable, and that's why I wrote this book, Twisted Scripture to to help free up others in the love and grace of God?
0: Well, you know, there's, there's something I learned a long time ago. And, yeah, I was raised Roman Catholic. I'm now Anglican uh, because the Catholics teach you fear. They really do. Yeah. You know, you've got to fear. Uh, but if you actually understood what was being taught in the New Testament is that you walk in love, not fear. And you've got to understand what that means because if you walk in love you're opening your heart not just to your fellow man to everyone else but you're opening your heart to God and letting him into it and understanding that no matter what happens to you no matter what terrible thing happens to you in the end it's going to be okay because in the yeah. end you're going to be up there with God and i got to tell you um, I I was my listeners know cuz i i had been rushed to the hospital on Sunday, and I was in the floor, on the floor breathing in the most excruciating pain I have ever known in my life. And somewhere along the way, while I was waiting for EMS to show up, and God bless them, they came within moments. Um, in the back of my mind, I said, that's okay, God. If this is it, I'm ready. Because that's yeah. what it means when you walk in love and not fear. But yet you will have the Bible thumpers out there telling you, yes, you're damned. I mean, I was going through um, uh, (laughs) – I was in the cardiac intensive care unit a number of years ago, and at that point I was still listed on the hospital as Roman Catholic. And I had a deacon come storming into my room, and he goes, I don't recognize you. You haven't been to our church, have you? And I said, "Uh, no. He goes, you're going to be damned to hell. I'm in cardiac intensive care. I'm hooked up to these monitors, and I'm looking at this guy like he's got 15 heads. But this is This is what they you're 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 breaking those myths in this book,
1: yeah, yeah, Everything from hey, a Christian can fall from grace and God's gonna say, depart from me, and God's gonna blot you out of the book of life or spit you out of his mouth, and boy, if you don't do enough good works, then God's gonna get ticked off at you. I mean, on and on it goes, there's lots of lies out there that people are teaching. So in this book, I mean, I'm really just highlighting and showcasing the love of God and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. If we didn't have him loving us the way that he does, then we would not be able to live the Christian life. It really is all about him. It's not about us and what we're doing for God. It's about God and what he's done for us.
0: You know, it, it's funny because, you know, throughout life, we waver in our faith. We have a strong, strong period, and then we, we kind of like wane off a little bit. And, and you've got a lot of pastors out there that go, oh, no, 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 you've lost your faith. You know, you're going to be damned now. But that's not what God mm-hmm. is about. He understands we're human. We're going to have those right. ups and downs, but it doesn't matter to him, does it? As long as we come well, back it's... to him
1: exactly i mean abraham you think about abraham's story in the bible and he was told that he was going to have a son and then he doubted and he wavered and he ended up uh having a relationship with another woman as sort of a backup plan like a a plan b just in case god didn't come through <laughs> and then in yeah. the new testament in the new testament when it tells the story of abraham here's what Paul says. Paul says, Abraham did not waver. And you just want to shake Paul and go, wait a minute, did not waver? I mean, come on, he had a plan B and another woman, but it shows us how God looks at us. It's exactly what you said, that there's always forgiveness, there's always grace, and God is not identifying us with our sins. He's not looking at our track record to to determine our value or our worth. And we have to learn our identity in Christ and that's where true identity is found. It's in Christ, not in what we're doing.
0: You know, one of the things I loved about your book because you you lay it out chapter by chapter, and you go through the various scriptures, forty five of them, and you show where you know the, we're being taught hypocrisy. Where is the truth that you know if you understand? Then you get to see the truth and understand even far better. And one of the things that um, at the end of the chapter, you give some notes for people to reflect on. You know, think about these things, and it helps you understand better. And then you offer a prayer. And that is a calming, a calming thing that, that takes the person say, all right, fine. I've laid it out for you. I've made you think about it. Now let me pray with you that you do throughout the book, which is very beautiful.
1: Well, yeah, it's really a, a great book for group study or for individuals who want to wake up every morning and, and take 10 minutes out of their day to get encouraged and just dis- discover what it means to be a totally forgiven person, what it means to be in the love of God, what it means to have infinite value and worth because of what Jesus did. I mean, this book is designed to encourage people to build them up in the truth of the gospel. And yeah, every chapter ends with uh, thought questions, and it also ends with a prayer. So it's great for groups, and it's great for that early morning before you get your day going.
0: You know, there's one one chapter that, that really struck me pretty hard, and that's when you talk about baptism. And it, yeah. somehow or other, you know, growing up, you know, like I said, within the Catholic faith, I always felt when they turned around and said, you'll be damned to hell unless you're baptized. And I'm, I'm, in the back of my mind, in my heart, in my heart of hearts, I guess that's where Christ lays as a child. I just knew it instinctively that I was being told wrong. How could an innocent child be damned right. to hell when they haven't done anything wrong yet? And then you, you explain it in the chapter that you don't have to be baptized to receive the Holy Spirit. It's already in you, and you've just got to recognize it and feel it and, and live in it, Correct.
1: So yeah, Acts chapter 10 says this. I mean, the apostles stumble upon this group of believers, and they've already got the Holy Spirit. They've already received the Holy Spirit. They already believe in Jesus. And so then Peter says, hey, what prevents them from celebrating in water? What prevents them from being water baptized? So look at the divine order of things there. They didn't have to jump in a swimming pool. They didn't have to run for a lake in order to get right and stay right with God they were just celebrating after already having the Holy Spirit. And that's what Christians need to know, is that we don't get right and stay right with God through a liquid known as H2O. You know, you look at the thief on the cross. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say that thief had to get down off the cross and find water to be baptized in. He said, today you'll be with me. And likewise, you know, Paul said, I did not come to, to baptize. God did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So that's what saves people. That's what gives people hope is the preaching of the gospel, not water baptism.
0: You know, it's funny because my, my, my bishop at one point told a story in one of his sermons, and he had been in China, and he was doing a service. And as he did his sermon after the service, a Chinese woman, a native woman, walked up to him. She took him his hands and she said, thank you. And he goes, for what? He goes, I didn't know his name. Now I know it. And as you said, you don't have to be baptized to know Christ. You just have to know him in your heart. You may not know his name, but you will know and feel the Holy Spirit, correct?
1: Yeah, so you know, the Bible has a pretty clear message that we show up on this planet with a with a problem. I mean, we're spiritually dead in our sins and we need life and so we call upon the name of the Lord to be saved and nowhere in there is baptism uh, ob- obligatory to find salvation. And I think that's where a lot of denominations in the world today have gotten off track. I mean, they're saying Jesus plus water just like 2,000 years ago, people were saying Jesus plus circumcision or Jesus plus Moses or Jesus plus the law. And you know, today, if we're not careful, we end up telling people they're saved by Jesus plus water, and that's no better than the errors in the early church that Paul was correcting when he said, you foolish Galatians, who has tricked you? And then he chews them out for trying to get right with God through Moses. It's not Jesus plus Moses, it's Jesus plus nothing, and we need to know that today.
0: Well, didn't he Andrew. also chastise Peter cuz Peter would not sit down with the uncircumcised? It's, go ahead, Curtis.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to to note that even though we're in a political and ideology war um in the United States right now, I think we're also in a spiritual war or religious war and i just wonder you know with our most of our our leaders in this nation being spiritually bankrupt is it possible that we can survive this you know onslaught by the left and their anti you know religious and spiritual um, agenda i mean even the supreme court we can't rely on what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah, I mean, my hope is not in Washington, D.C. I love the United States of America. I'm so glad we have a voice, and I'm I'm so glad that we get to vote uh, and vote our conscience and vote our faith. But you know what? Uh, this country is a couple hundred years old, and the gospel is thousands of years old. So I encourage Christians, when they get discouraged about what's happening in D.C., That they not put their faith in Washington, that they put their faith in Christ and recognize you know, over four years and eight years, what happens in Washington is going to change. It's going to ping pong back and forth. Fifty percent of the country will be ticked off. Fifty percent of the country will be elated, and then it will switch on us, and that's why we can't ride that roller coaster emotionally. We have to recognize our stability as Jesus Christ every day no matter who's serving in Washington.
5: I guess Annie went to take a short break. But anyway... You're right. I'm
0: sorry, I forgot to unmute myself. I was popping open the phone and I forgot to unmute myself.
5: I was saying, if if
0: anyone read, uh, hang on a second, if anyone read Revelations, they know no matter what they throw at us, no matter what we go through here on earth, in the end, we win. It, it, It doesn't matter what they do to us because, Andrew, in the end, we win, right?
1: Absolutely. That's the faith we have. That's the hope we have. So we're going to watch politics go up and down and all over the place, and we may be excited about the next election result or furious about it, but in the end, what you said, that's our hope, that's our anchor, that's our stability, is knowing that we've got Jesus, and he reigns supreme, and he doesn't need to be elected. He's already won, and we will be with him forever.
0: Alright Curtis go ahead I'm sorry go ahead
5: oh, I was just going to um, follow that up With the fact that we had a lot of A lot of uh, important um, Matters going before Say like you know the Supreme Court That that are You know have a religious um, Context to them You know like you know Having a right not to um, Bake a cake you know for um,
4: right.
5: Two guys or two women Getting married you know and what they're teaching these kids at such a young age, that's that's what I was alluding to. Um, yeah, well, definitely there's a
1: lot of pressing decisions that are going to hit the Supreme Court and have already hit there. And, you know, I encourage every believer, don't be passive. Don't sit on your hands. Make sure you're ex- expressing your voice. Think about the history of this planet and how many times Christian voices have been muzzled and oppressed and uh, pushed down, whether it be in China at certain times even to this day, or whether it be in Rome with, with Christians being blamed for the burning of Rome. Here in the United States today, we have an incredible opportunity to express our voice and vote our conscience consistent with our faith. So don't take it for granted. Express yourself. Cast your vote. And it makes a difference. We may not stop the chaos and sin of this fallen world, but we can delay it in our country by making sure that our voices are heard.
0: Oh, absolutely. And what I loved about the uh, the debate – and I played this for a clip for uh, uh, John Horvat in the star of the show – with um, Mayor, uh, Mayor Pete, when he made the comment – uh, that with the Democratic Party, the Republican Party is the party of Christianity, and the Democratic Party believes in separation of church and politics. And I, I just started rooting for him at that moment because I said, Here in the Southern Bible Belt, where you've got a lot of Black Baptist churches here, uh, I said, and they all vote heavily Democratic, well, you just gave the Republican Party a huge boost, don't you think, Andrew?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I understand that we don't want government inside our churches telling our churches what to do, but as far as being a citizen on this planet and part of this country, uh, everybody has a right to wake up every day and have faith in God, have belief in Jesus, and to express those convictions uh, at the ballot box. So uh, I think you're right. I mean, you start uh, trying to Say that Republicans are the only party of Christianity and of expressing their faith, and that's going to be a feather in our cap, and it's going to bring Christians out to the voter box to express themselves. And you know, you don't want to have your faith in a, in a categorical box or some chamber of your mind that doesn't affect how you think and how you vote. Uh, God gave us the renewing of the mind so that we could think in new ways, act in new ways, and that matters when it comes to voting.
0: You know, it, your book is so wonderful. As you said, people can use it as a as a workshop book in, in groups in your uh, congregation or whatever. Uh, if, if you could see how many notes I have, posted notes on the pages, <laughs> we could send easily a full three-hour show going through it. Uh, But you actually helped in a lot of ways. Things I understood instinctively, you actually put into words to help me understand what I felt, what I knew to be true, what I knew to be right in my heart. But you actually put them into words that helped me understand. And one of the things that uh, occurred is that I was up in Orangeburg, South Carolina, because Mayor de Blasio was up there at a local church uh, fundraising and stomping and – I don't know if you're aware I'm a retired NYPD cop and NYPD hasn't had a contract with the mayor de Blasio for three years. So the call was put out to us that are retirees to go protest him. So we showed up at the church and the next thing we know, we have some church members coming out and trying to scoot us off the sidewalk. Well, you can't tell two cops, a couple of cops what the laws are because we already know we can stand on the sidewalk as long as they're not in your lawn. And the next thing you know, they started to throw scripture at us and fortunately the other cop that i was standing there with knew scripture a little bit better than i did and started reciting the new testament and i'm listening to him and then all of a sudden what you wrote in your book kicked into gear in my mind and Hmm. when my friend took a pause and i said sir didn't Christ die for our sins on the cross? And he goes, yes. And I says, with the resurrection, did he not bring us a new law? He goes, yes. So therefore, the scripture that you quote, the law of the Old Testament is dead to us, and the new law is in its place, and the new law is love. So, sir, are you showing us love, or are you showing us the old law? <laughs> with that, he
4: turned mm. on his
0: back and walked away. But, you know, it, it wow. was, it, This is this is what they do. They try to twist the yeah. old scripture – and, and you talk about teething, not teething, not little babies teething, but tithing, uh, giving to the church, yeah. the alms. And these are all things you address in here and show where certain things are wrong. And I got to laugh because I looked at my bishop's shoes one day, and I started cracking up. He goes, what's wrong? I go, I know a man of faith when I see his shoes. And I said, your shoes are in worse condition than mine that means you are a true man of faith. So if the guy had $300 <laughs> shoes on, if he didn't have a pair of raggedy deck shoes, you know, I'm not going to go to the church with the $300 shoes and the ten thousand the $100,000 car. I'm going to go to the guy with the raggedy old book, uh, deck shoes. And these are all things right, you address right. in the book.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, tithing, of course we want to uh, give freely from the heart. That's what the New Testament says. But tithing, is an Old Testament concept, and we need to know that. I mean, Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says that tithing is a matter of the law. And as you pointed out, we're dead to the law. We're not under the law. Christ is the end of the law for all those who believe. That's what Paul said. So we have uh, new laws written on our hearts. As you mentioned, the law of, of, of loving other people as Christ loves us, and uh, believing in him and trusting him, that's what's written on our hearts today. It's not 613 commands of the Old Testament, and I think people will find that whether it's the prosperity gospel that's taught out there, the health wealth gospel, or any other manipulation, people are running to the Old Testament law, and they are cherry picking from it in order to control people and extort money from them. And we need to see that that is not the message that Jesus has for us. When we support a ministry or a church he says, do it without pressure, without compulsion, that God loves a cheerful giver. That's the real motivation. So we don't have to buy God's blessings. We don't have to buy off God like he's a mafia lord or something. We, we need to recognize that we're just giving from the heart because we want to support a message and a ministry. And if we can't give during a particular time of our lives, that is totally fine we are not under pressure. We're not under condemnation. We're not under guilt. So people need to know the freedom of grace giving so that they can enjoy being generous when their heart leads them to do so.
0: You know, it's funny. My husband happens to be Latvian, and there's a Latvian church on Long Island, and his mom went, went to the church and everything. And one day we get in the mail a series of envelopes and an invoice. From the church, they calculated—I don't know how they figured this out—what our income was, and then calculated how much we owe the church. Now we've been there a wow. of three times our entire life, and my husband and I looked at each other and we cracked up. And the figure they estimated for our income was more than double what we actually earned. Wow! <laughs> yet, this wow! Is the mindset that they can actually blackmail you as they say. They guilt you into it. And how many people fall for this?
1: Oh, yeah, the masses are falling for it. And, you know, Paul tells the young pastor, Timothy, he says that there's contentment in this life, and we've brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. So if we have food and covering, we can be content with that. And he goes on, he says, those who want to get rich – Fall into temptation and a snare, and harmful desires plunge them into ruin and destruction. And I think that's what we're seeing 2,000 years later. We're seeing people who are uh, not content and they're looking at godliness as a means of financial gain. And, you know, they're promising everything from you'll get wealthy and you'll stay healthy if you just give your 10%. And I mean the story you told, people are experiencing that all over the country and beyond. It's sad and it's sick, and we really need to speak out about it and call it what it is. It's deception and manipulation and extortion and blackmail, and it should not be done in the name of Jesus.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of other things you address in the book. Like I said, we can easily do a full three-hour show on it. But you also talk about the corruption of our morals here. And we see this day by day with uh, uh, transsexuals leading services in a church, Uh, three- and six-year-olds being told transgender stories to tell them that, hey, you're gender fluid. You see satanic uh, uh, rituals being done at county council meetings in alaska and florida and colorado you see satanic uh, statues being raised you see satanic tv shows and and movies that glorify satanism and we're being assaulted in so many ways in today's environment it's sensory deprivation it's very hard for a christian to stay on the path
1: yeah, and you know, I I think the best cure for that is is exactly what the banks will tell you about a counterfeit. I mean, when they're training a clerk, you know what they do? They don't say here's 50 kinds of counterfeit dollar bills. They just say, here's the real thing. Get to know the authentic dollar bill, and then when anything else that's strange or unusual or feels different when it comes in, it'll stand out like a sore thumb, and then Uh, You'll know that it's a counterfeit. Well, it's the same with the gospel. The only cure for this is to really dive deeply into God's Word and know what you believe and know why you believe it so that when a counterfeit comes to your doorstep or when you hear a counterfeit in the pulpit up front at church on Sunday morning, then you will be able to call it out and know what it is and be forewarned and wave a red flag of concern and get out of there, run for the hills and find a place that is truly encouraging in the truth. I mean, that's the solution. Get to know the real gospel, the real thing. And that's why I wrote this book, Twisted Scripture, was to help people see these counterfeits and also celebrate the truth to the fullest.
0: Well, now, you've got a podcast as well as your own ministry, don't you?
1: Yes. So I have a radio program that airs every weeknight at 8 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM. It's called Andrew Farley Live, and for a half hour each night, I take live calls and do counseling and help people with scripture passages and personal issues going on in their life. So if you want to look for that on Sirius XM, it's channel 131 at 8 p.m. Eastern every weeknight.
0: Uh, I'm normally not in my car because my XM is inside my car, but I'm going to have to check it out. Wow. All right. And um,
1: Also, also there's a a website. So if you're not in your car at that time and you want to hear the programs, we have thousands of programs and free videos on my website. And if a topic comes up that you're interested in, all you have to do is type in the the topic or the scripture passage, and then all the videos and audio messages are there to encourage you. So you can go to my website. It's andrewfarley.org. That's andrewfarley.org.
0: I'm going to add that to the show description because I did not get that from your agent. So I'll put that up there, the the XM Radio 131 and AndrewFarley.org. I'll add that to description because you know how these work. The majority of people that listen to these casts listen to them in the archives. So I have it up there. They can click on the link to Twisted Scripture and get the book. I'll add it up there so they can click on it and listen to your your radio cast as well as uh, your website. So I'll add that in there. I mean –
4: like I said, we can
0: talk hours and hours and hours on this one, uh, but it, it, you actually helped me understand a lot of things. Like I said, I felt in my heart to know be the truth uh, and how I was being taught wrong. I just I just knew it all along, which is why I left the faith I was in, and I'm in the faith that I am now. Um, just want to let you know also our faith is under attack day by day. And to give yeah. you an example, there is a petition on this show page where I'll add the other information. Um, A woman decided that because our Serenity Chapel, which dates back to 17, I believe 1792, it was the one that was burned by Sherman depicted in uh, Gone with the Wind. And we Mm. open it to the public, and we have a service once a year on there. We allow weddings to be there and other ceremonies to be performed there. And it was being desecrated. And because of that, our pastor decided to put a fence around the property and then limit access to it at this time. It's not public. It is private land. And this woman decided that she was going to start a petition to confiscate the property from us through eminent domain and turn it into a government-run park. Well, Mm. of course, I'm not one to keep my mouth shut. So I started a counter petition. So, Andrew, if you wanted to see it. Uh, maybe you want to help pass it around. I started a counter petition. I was really polite and I said, well, it's a nice idea, but how about changing your petition? If you want to save the property, help us raise funds to help restore it. And I think those of us that are members of this parish know how best to restore it as well as to maintain the grave sites of the members of our parish upon the property. And I was really nice about it, but it's garnering a lot of petitions a little bit more than she has, but this is what's happening. You know, they, We're under assault day by day, and unless we speak up and counteract, it's going to continue and it's going to get
1: worse. Right, right. Wow. Yeah, thanks for telling me about that. That's good to know. Uh, I appreciate you taking time with me today, too. I really enjoyed the conversation.
0: Oh, it is my pleasure, and we'll definitely have you back on. And uh, good luck with XM Radio. You got me jealous.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you. Thanks again. I appreciate you very much.
0: And God bless for the hard work you do, sir. We enjoy it.
1: Thank you. All right. Bye bye.
5: Take care. All
0: right. Check out Andrew Farley. Farley AndrewFarley.org, and it's. Twisted Scripture, Understanding 45 Lies Christians Have Been Told. It is so informative, Curtis, and I know you would enjoy reading it, as well as a lot of our other listeners out there. We're waiting for our next guest to call in, Myron Magnet, uh, and I believe that that he is on. And he is next. Next victim is in the ballpark. And let me get his name here on here. And welcome aboard, Myron Magnet, the author of Clarence Thomas and the Lost Constitution. And boy, what a day to have you on, sir. Welcome aboard.
2: <laughs> it's a pleasure to be with you.
0: You know, um, I followed the Clarence Thomas. He, uh, uh, oh, good Lord. I am having one brain fart after <laughs> another confirmation. Uh, confirmation hearings. Thank you very much. And I I thought that after Bork, there couldn't be anything worse, but Clarence Thomas, and now we saw it with Kavanaugh, we are under assault, and our Constitution is under assault, and this excellent book really uh, puts a picture around Clarence Thomas that I was not aware of. There was a lot of things that they could have fought through in the confirmation hearings that they didn't. Instead, they decided to do, oh, he's a sexual predator
2: attitude. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned these these three hearings, which were really character assassinations. And you know the old saying, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Well, it's kind of like fool me three times. You know, anybody who thought, that there was anything of truth in what Anita Hill was saying would have to be disabused of that idea after the Kavanaugh hearings, where they ran exactly the same playbook. You know, I mean, the the uh, uh, the sympathetic. Uh, uh, slightly otherworldly victim, the vague and uh, not really very substantial sexual harassment charges, the memory lapses—you know—that uh, finally don't don't amount to anything, and it's the same cast of characters. Diane Feinstein is there. Uh, Nan Aaron from the from the Alliance for Justice, the, the the same Democratic senators. So I think that uh, what has come more and more into focus with the uh, uh, lethality of these hearings is uh, something that I argue in my book that we're, we're, we're having a kind of crisis of legitimacy in this country right now We uh, have two parties that believe that the authority of government comes from two different places. We don't agree about that. So on the one hand, we have what we can call the Freedom Party. That's me and you and Justice Thomas. Um, And uh, these are people who believe that the authority of government rests on the Constitution that the framers wrote in 1787 that was
3: approved
2: by the Bill of Rights a couple of years later and perfected by the Reconstruction Amendments and the 19th Amendment that gave women the vote. And this is a Constitution that guarantees liberty and expects self-reliance. And then on the other side, you have what you could call the Fairness Party, which believes that the that government authority comes from a Supreme Court making up law as it goes along
4: uh,
2: in a kind of living constitution, and uh, from an army of expert bureaucrats or bureaucratic experts who make rules for us like a legislature who carry them out like an executive and to adjudicate and punish infractions of them like a judiciary, all without any separation of power whatsoever. And as Franklin Roosevelt said, who supersized this system, um, it really is a fourth branch of government that has no basis in the Constitution whatsoever. But for the Fairness Party, the legitimacy of this kind of government rests on the idea that only in this way do we protect the workers, the weak, the victims, the minority, um, and that's true democracy. Uh, but you know, but 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 the sad fact is that's not really self-government. Well, Justice Thomas is on the other side, is on that Freedom Party side, and you know, what, one of the things that people. Like to say about originalism is how can you believe in the relevancy of something that's 232 years old? I mean, you wouldn't do surgery out of a 232 year old surgical textbook. Why do you think that that governs? And the argument that you would give to that um, is that nobody has ever had a more modern even avant-garde idea of government than the framers of our Constitution. They gave us a government that wasn't going to rule us, but instead was simply going to protect the right of every individual American citizen to pursue his own happiness in his own way, in his family, in his local community. Uh, You cannot have a more modern idea than self government, and one of the curious ironies of our history you, you know i I argue in my book that the that this constitution of liberty got subverted in three separate stages, and the second stage was was presided over by Woodrow Wilson and then by Franklin Roosevelt, and Woodrow Wilson objected to the Constitution quite explicitly. I mean, he didn't like it. He said he was going to give us something much better and get rid of it. And he said it wasn't modern enough because modern conditions changed so rapidly that the whole dynamic of the modern world was kind of darwinian you know that conditions change so quickly and we needed to evolve and adapt to them in a darwinian way so we needed a much faster kind of government than what we had before and uh, he was he he was basing his political theory on his reading of hegel and hegel's hegel's other German philosopher followers, which he taught himself German how to read. And the thing about it is all these philosophers had as their model the Prussian monarch Frederick the Great, who was indeed an enlightened despot with a wonderful, incorruptible, non-political civil service. But the thing is, here's Woodrow Wilson telling us that his model of enlightened despotism – is is more modern than democratic self-government is laughable because monarchy monarchy is not more modern than a republic. And furthermore, <laughs> in enlighten, enlightened despotism, enlightenment always evaporates, leaving only despotism behind.
0: Well, it's funny because he's saying, well, the founders just came up with this document, blah, 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 But it was a long time in the making because if you go back to Plato's Republic, uh, you go back to King Harold codifying British common law, you go back to the Magna Carta, where the people were claiming back their power of government. You know, we had a foundation building up to our constitution. It built first the Declaration of Independence and then the Constitution. These are things you address in the book. There were foundations for that to show that this is lasting
4: uh,
0: ideals, ideals that work in reality. And here Woodrow Wilson just wants to tear the whole thing up overnight. And instead of having a government by the people for the people, a government instead you're going to have a little bureaucratic nanas running around in D.C. dictating regulations, making them, in effect, laws outside of Congress. And this is what Woodrow Wilson wanted. Just tear the whole thing up and give me all these little bureaucrats so I can manipulate them and get what I want.
2: Yeah, and the Supreme Court blessed that. Uh, you know, the Supreme Court said that that was just fine and dandy. and uh, uh, And... And... and And if you want an example of the kind of tyranny that you can get when you have all these little – I mean, according – remember, Woodrow Wilson was our first professor president um, who believed that he knew better than the ordinary voter which way the arc of history bent – And he believed that all his Ivy League-trained bureaucratic experts knew better than your ordinary man in the street what we actually all needed. And so what's the result of this? We read in the paper just a couple of months ago of a case of a rancher in Montana... Who has this little trickle flowing through his mountain acres. And, you know, in these last few summers, he's been worried about forest fires. Um, so he digs a couple of ponds on his land in order to have a reservoir to pump from in case the woods start burning. And the EPA turns up. Now, based on a rule that they have made under It's true, the Waters of the United States Act, but it's a rule that they made, and they charge him with polluting the navigable waterways of the United States by digging these two pounds. Now, the, 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 the only thing even resembling a navigable waterway is more than 40 miles away. You know, so that this is, on the face of it, pure absurdity, based on a rule, not on the law, but the upshot is that the rancher is fined $130,000 and sent to prison for 18 months. This is just plain despotism without the Enlightenment, and this is what Justice Thomas's jurisprudence is aimed at protecting us against it. It's his calling, he says, to do this. So... There's a whole string of 2015 opinions of his in which he takes aim at this administrative state that Woodrow Wilson set up with the FTC and the SEC and that Franklin Roosevelt supersized. And, you know, he starts out with an opinion in which he says, this has no comfortable home in our Constitution with its absolute lack of separation of powers, and with the fact that, you, that that the Constitution lodges all legislative power in the Congress, all judicial power in the judiciary in Article 1 and Article 3. So you can't delegate these powers, right? As, as, the, as the American Revolution's tutelary philosopher John Locke had said, the legislature can make laws... But not legislators. But that is what Congress does when it sets up all these agencies and mans them with all these little bureaucrats and gives them the power to make rules for us. So Clarence Thomas is saying, no, nope, you know that's wrong. And then he's and then the various mechanisms uh, in which Congress by which Congress allows these bureaucrats, supposed experts to exercise this power. Thomas also says, no, you know, that's unconstitutional, that's unconstitutional, that's unconstitutional. And, you know, this gets to the real heart of his jurisprudence and in an opinion he wrote in a case called Gamble last, last uh, no, this week, this Monday, um, he 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 really laid out something that I lay out in in great detail in Clarence Thomas and the Lost Constitution. Um, what and basically what he's saying is let's look at this vener, venerable doctrine of stare decisis. He said uh, this is the doctrine which tells us that judges ought to respect precedent, um, and. And what he says is, okay, well, you know, this is an idea that comes from the British common law. Um, And remember, the British have this unwritten constitution which largely evolves by judicial decision, building on judicial decision. But let's remember two things. First, America rejected that system in the 1787 convention. They did not want... Constitution that evolves by judicial decree because they saw the kind of tyranny that it could lead to here in America. They wanted a written constitution with a government of very limited powers. And uh, and they wanted those powers spelled out in the Constitution. Those powers and no others. That's what Woodrow Wilson objected to so much, because he wanted an almost omnipotent government, and Franklin Roosevelt wanted one that was just simply omnipotent. Um, and so what Clarence Thomas says is, when you have got Supreme Court decisions that ratify all this— um, and the decisions are clearly wrong. He says when Congress passes a law and the president signs it and we Supreme Court justices recognize that it's unconstitutional, we do not hesitate to overturn it. So when we look at previous decisions of our own court, and by the way, it's our duty to look over them and over them and over them and stay awake at night and ask ourselves, was this right, was this right? And if we decide that, as a matter of fact, we or our esteemed predecessors made an error, it's our duty to the oath that we took to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States to say this judgment was wrong and we overturn it. And in particular, those judgments of the Supreme Court which either made or ratified real subversions of our constitutions are the ones that is the ones that are are the ones that we need to overrule. Now, this is a very, very radical jurisprudence, um, as as Justice Scalia said. You know, he, he was an originalist, he says, but compared to Clarence Thomas, he is but a faint-hearted originalist. Mm-hmm. Clarence Thomas takes this, the whole hog, right, as, as far as you could go. But he says, but after all, look, look at the first time that the Supreme Court subverted the Constitution. This was in the 1870s. So we just Fought a civil war. 400,000 Union soldiers almost had died to make men free. And we passed the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, the heart of which is the Privileges or Immunities Clause of the 14th Amendment, designed very explicitly to clothe freed slaves in all of the rights guaranteed by the Bill of Rights against any invasion by state governments, right? So state governments can't get at the the life, liberty, or property of freed slaves in, 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 in any way. You suddenly get these, you know, but the whole nation is waiting to see how is the court going to interpret this. In 1873... And then again in 1876. Now, remember, you've already got, you know, the sort of full flowering of terrorism, not only by the Ku Klux Klan, but by the Knights of the White Camellia, um, by the White League. Um, you, you, you've got this, this reign of guerrilla terror going on in the South in order to force blacks into serfdom. Um, because, I mean, for a variety of reasons, but one is the whole economy of the South still depended on this kind of surf labor uh, to get, the, at this point, the cotton crop out. Um, and so you get two decisions of the Supreme Court, Slaughterhouse in 73, Cruikshank in 76, that in effect says that the 14th Amendment does not clothe freedmen in the rights enumerated in the bill of rights against the states. And Clarence Thomas, you know, you get you get now 90 some years of Jim Crow in the South, and Clarence Thomas says, "Hey, this is personal with me. This is personal with me. I grew up in Savannah under segregation and I couldn't drink out of this fountain and I couldn't walk across that park or use the good library." Um, so he says, I know what government tyranny is like firsthand. These decisions were not only wrong but they were shameful, he says. And yes, in the New Deal, the Supreme Court came up with a workaround around uh, around these these 1870s decision. He said a legal fiction called substantive due process. Why are we Why are we sticking to this fiction? Um, why don't we just step up to the plate? and say our esteemed predecessors were incorrect in these decisions. They were in error, and we hereby overturned them. When Franklin Roosevelt held a gun to the head of the Supreme Court and said, if you don't give me the right to use the Interstate Commerce Clause illegitimately to take control of all all American economic activity, because I believe the Depression was caused by a crisis of overproduction, and I need to control the whole economy in order to live in output. If you don't allow me to do this, I'm going to enlarge the court and pack it with New Deal supporters. And sure enough, a a justice named Robert said, okay, okay, we give up, right?, you can have my vote, and you can control the whole economy. Clarence Thomas says, you know what, that was an unlawful, I mean, the judges were false to their oaths in doing this. They did not preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. And he writes this really, you know, this quite fascinating opinion called Gonzales v. Reich, so, and he mentions in it an opinion of the court uh, uh, of the New Deal court called Wickard v. Philburn. And what Wickard v. Philburn says, yes, says is, yes, it's okay for the government to use the interstate commerce power to stop a farmer from growing grain to feed his own livestock. And so Thomas writes this opinion in, in Gonzales v. Reich, which concerns two ill Californians who figured that California's medical marijuana law, now whatever you think of medical marijuana laws, California has one, Um, and they thought themselves protected by this law to grow marijuana for their own consumption in order to control their pain because it seemed to to work for them. Um, The feds swooped down on them, take away their marijuana plants, charge them with crimes under the Federal Controlled Substance Act, and the Supreme Court lets them get away with this, and Clarence Thomas just goes ballistic over it. And he says, wait a minute, he says, just as in Wickard v. Filburn, you have people growing something for their own consumption, which they do not sell, which certainly they do not sell in interstate commerce, or in any commerce whatsoever and if we let the federal government have authority over this kind of activity the next thing you know the feds are going to be regulating potluck suppers and quilting bees right this is an economic activity this is nothing nothing whatsoever that falls under the enumerated powers that the framers put in the constitution and so that was the Byron, that was the, you know yeah. but
0: I'd love what I love, Myron, is when I get when I get a college professor, I just sit back and I let you go. So, in other words, <laughs> all the reading, all the notes I made on your book, just go out the window. Go ahead I'm and ask me a
5: question. It. Forgive me. I'm enjoying it.
0: <laughs> no, I was I was going to start because I did mention the curious background of uh, Clarence Thomas. See, I, I live just a short. Uh, time just i just north of savannah so a lot of what you wrote in oh. here about his past history uh came home uh i'm i'm from new york i got down to the south as soon as i could oh i could hear uh, you're
2: from new york <laughs> I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm on the upper west side right now
0: <laughs> so you know, i, I what i i had mentioned the the hearing uh the uh confirmation hearing and what they could have pulled out of the hat instead they pulled out Anita Thomas and I just want to go back to that
4: because Clarence Thomas
0: uh, Anita Hill I'm sorry I apologize Um, Clarence Thomas had a really interesting background where he was raised by a grandparent he was steeped in the Constitution and in you know American history and he took a turn as an adult and also became one of these black power radicals and I wasn't aware of this. I thought maybe something <coughs> excuse me, dangerous in his background would come up and said they pull Anita Hill. And I'm wondering why they didn't choose that other path unless the Democratic Party was afraid they would alienate the Black Panthers and all the others that are supporting and, and, him, like And Lewis by Barathon. the way,
2: probably every, every Democratic senator had exactly the same college experience as Clarence Thomas had. So... Uh, what What were they really going to do with but it 's true i mean he 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 has a remarkable background and it 's remarkable in the sense i mean it 's remarkable in so many ways but but w- one of them is that he didn 't exactly go from a log cabin to the White House, but he did go from a kerosene lit shanty in a Georgia swamp south of Savannah um, to the high bench. Um, and you 're absolutely right in pointing to the importance of his grandfather, who was a truly you know a real american figure um, I mean a real self made man uh, uh, f- it, uh, whose father had abandoned him, and uh, he decided to make himself into you know into an entrepreneur um, so to start with he converts to Catholicism because he wanted a structured religion. Um, he sets up his own, his own ice and coal delivery business, which by the time he takes over the upbringing of his two little grandsons is now a fuel oil delivery company, but of a very small kind. Um, he has the boys become Catholics and sends them to Catholic schools, segregated, of course, um, uh, but but the teachers were, for the most part, Irish immigrant nuns who taught the boys that all men are created equal and that, therefore, segregation was wrong. So, you know, from the get-go, Clarence Thomas was imbued with the fundamental American creed, um, and his grandfather put the two little boys to work after school and on weekends delivering oil with him. Um, and in the summers, uh, the, the family had, uh, had, I think, 60 acres of land down south of Savannah that nobody wanted. So he took the boys down there, and they built with their own hands a cinder block house and cleared the land and tilled it and planted crops and raised animals and they would go there every single summer and Thomas says it wasn't like we were we we had we were off the grid we were never on the grid there this was a completely off-grid experience we were living like the pioneers uh, you know raising our own food being subsistence farmers raising enough to keep in the freezer in Savannah over the winter so that they could feed themselves so in other words he learned self-reliance by being self-reliant, which his grandfather made him. And his grandfather kept pushing this home with adages like where there's a will, there's a way. And so, yeah, Thomas then went through this black radical phase. Um, You know, he faced, he faced a lot. He, he, he had promised his grandfather that he was going to be Savannah's first black priest. Um, he gets to the seminary in St. Louis and sees an awful lot of racism among his fellow seminarians. Um, and he thinks, wait a minute, how can, how can the church tolerate something that is so clearly contrary to Christian teaching as racism? And when, when Martin Luther King got shot, and one of his fellow seminarians said, good, I hope the son of a bitch dies. Clarence Thomas said, that was the end of my vocation. And he dropped out of the seminary and had a real set to with his grandfather and finally got into Holy Cross on a scholarship because his grandfather wasn't going to pay for him. Um, and, you know, by then the racism had made him, he said, an angry black man um, and so he remained in college until in at the end of his at the end of his junior year in college, he went to a demonstration in Cambridge Mass, not too far from Holy Cross in worcester and and uh, and and this demonstration turned into a riot, and a friend of mine was there and saw it and said, "Yeah, it was a real riot. cops got beat up, you know property was damaged and set on fire uh Next morning, Thomas gets back to Holy Cross and goes to the chapel and prays to be purged of his anger. He says, this is going to destroy my life. And he said, and I asked myself at that point, do I really believe in the American creed? Do I really believe that all men are created equal and that we all have equal rights? And he said, yeah, I really do. Um, And at that point, he started to become a conservative. But what what he didn't realize was that all those maxims that his grandfather had drummed into his head, even though his grandfather was a lifelong Democrat, a very active member of the NAACP, his grandfather's creed was conservatism because it was all about self-reliance. It was all about independence. And one of the things, one of the things that so interested me about Clarence Thomas outside of the the legal opinions um was the idea that in order to have a free republic you need to have citizens with a certain kind of character and you need to have a certain kind of national character that is capable of freedom you have to have people who are self-reliant and you you know i i I, I don't know if you remember when 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 you know you I'm nobody is as old as I am you know not even Clarence <laughs> Thomas <laughs> uh,
4: and, but,
2: but 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 he remembers uh, all those landmark biographies that we used to read when we were kids um and he says you know I I mean the whole emphasis was on heroes we admired we admired their character. We admired their grit that allowed them to overcome adversity, that allowed them to make of themselves something. And not only that, but that allowed them to change the country, to change the world. You know, George Washington, Marie Curie, George Washington Carver, um, people who, who were heroes. He said nowadays we've got a culture that just emphasizes victims, Everybody's a victim, right? Everybody says, oh, you know, my fate is not my fault. It's larger forces outside my control. They're talking almost like Franklin D. Roosevelt, quite honestly. He says, but with, with a culture in which people think of their own lives as out of their control, it's awful hard to make a free republic because you don't have free men uh, that it takes.
0: Well, this is a point in your book, because when T- Clarence Thomas now becomes a Supreme Court judge, he realized he didn't know enough. He was honest enough to get a staff and people around him to help him and help shape who he is today. And what I found so interesting, when he was making these dissenting assi- decisions, he was setting the building blocks that can help us bring us back To the republic as it was Intended and I find it ironic That he is here at this time This place as we have a president Who on the other side Using the executive branch to help also Dismantle this Fourth estate we have within government
2: Well isn't Isn't it remarkable and and One of the things that is So impressive about Thomas You know he's been on the court for 28 years now so he's Had a lot of clerks um, and he's, you know, he says yeah, we got all these people here from the Harvard and Yale law schools. Well, I'm going to pick people who come from different law schools because this is a big country, right? And we need equal opportunity here. Um, and he's had this uh, this amazing array of gifted clerks over the years, whom he and his wife treat like family, and and they stay in touch, and he fosters their their careers, and he mentors them with. Real passion. And uh, 20% of the judges, uh, I mean, 20% of the judges whom the Trump administration has named to the federal bench are ex Clarence Thomas clerks. So not only has he laid out in his jurisprudence this roadmap of Prior court decisions, which future courts ought to be overturning, and which he himself has started to overturn, um, but also he's put the troops in place of gifted young federal judges. Um, you know, many of whom, most of whom, make wonderful candidates for future Supreme Court justices, um, and so he's put the troops in place to 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 follow this road map and restore that constitution of liberty that the framers gave us it's an amazing accomplishment
0: it it, it is it is you know i I've, I've got cases that i was marking and uh i remember the case <clears throat> up in connecticut because i was living in new york at the time about the kilo uh, versus new london uh oh. with paul stevens uh, actually, I was not. I was living down here. That was 2005. I came down here in 2001. And I have a petition on there where someone wants to try to take one of our church properties through uh, government confiscation, eminent domain. And oh. it's such a shame. Uh, it, I've got a counter because she doesn't know I know the clerk of the court. She happens to be someone I know personally, and a yeah. lot of the people she put on the petition either belong to my church or I know through the Republican Party personally for a number yeah. of years. So it's not going yeah. anywhere. But yeah. when I followed this Kelo case versus New New London, um, I was thinking, what a travesty of justice! And here, once again, Clarence Thomas, you know, shines in his dissent. And Paul Stevens, I know people were trying to find ways to confiscate his property
2: at the time he made his ruling. <laughs>
0: but that 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 property is to this day still sitting fallow. And here they Well, they yeah, isn't, isn't
2: isn't that amazing? I mean, so 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 here New London gets this. Uh, uh, you know grandiose urban renewal plan which all hinges on Pfizer the drug company building a new research facility down there and Pfizer's going to put up a bunch of money and a bunch of private developers are going to put up money so uh, they condemn these perfectly nice, if very modest, houses on the new London waterfront, and they're going to tear them down in order to build this whole new development with a river walk and restaurants and a shopping center. But you know, but they're going to they're going to take away people's houses to do this. They're going to tear down their houses. And Thomas says, "Excuse me, you know, we are so, so scrupulous." as a court, about not letting government agents go into people's houses without proper search warrants and without probable cause, right? We are protecting entry into the house, but if the government wants to tear down your house, that's just fine. And, you know, and actually, if you look at this kilo case, what was actually going on? you got got these, these city officials who are allowing property to be torn down for a use that will generate higher property taxes. So, I mean, it's not like they're disinterested parties here. These are people whose pensions and retirement health care depends on New London having a heavy stream of taxes, property taxes. Um, And so they're just feathering their own nests here, right? And Thomas says, you know, you cannot... The the government, the reason that we instituted government at all is to protect our life, liberty, and property. And if you have government which is turning into an enemy of property, and instead of protecting your property, is stealing it, that is totally illegitimate. And Kilo is totally illegitimate. And look how many states, since the Kilo decision, have passed laws that forbids something like that, something they really shouldn't need to do because the Fifth Amendment of the, Constitu- of, the of the Bill of Rights um, protects you against it. But uh, nevertheless, because the Supreme Court allowed this to happen, uh, legislatures have had to pass laws to uh, pro- provide even further protections for it. And that's, that's that third act in the subversion of the Constitution that Thomas is trying to reverse, you know, that is what began with the Warren Court and went on for many decades after that, in which the court makes up laws out of whole cloth, some of them that simply overturn guarantees of the Bill of Rights, as in the case of Kelo or mm-hmm. as in the case of of uh, the court's blessing of campaign finance uh, legislation. Uh, Thomas says, what is the First Amendment all about? The First Amendment is about protecting political speech above all. He says, you know, under the First Amendment, the court now protects new dancing, pornographic literature, burning flags, but it doesn't protect the one thing that the framers really wanted to protect, which is political speech. And if you can't give contributions to allow candidates to put out advertising, which is political speech, or if you can't make expenditures of your own to put out political advertising, well, then you then you don't have freedom of political speech, which is which is what the which is what the framers set out to give us in the in the in the First Amendment, right? It's absolutely fundamental to, to our democracy.
0: Yeah, and here you Myron. talk that Citizens United and uh, this is my co-host Curtis. Go ahead, Curtis.
5: Yeah. Has, Go ahead. Has justice um Clarence Thomas ever give any clue to his his thoughts on his predecessor um Thurgood Marshall, the first um African American um justice.
2: Well, you know, he, he he went in to pay a courtesy call on Justice Marshall uh when when uh, he was, you know, when he first joined the court and Justice Marshall still had his office there. Uh, and he thought he was, you know, he thought there might be some friction between them because they were on opposite sides of the political fence. In fact, what was supposed to be a 10-minute courtesy call turned into hours and hours of friendly, friendly discussion. Um and what Justice Marshall said to him is, look, and remember, Justice Marshall, as, as the litigator for the NAACP, uh, is the man who argued Brown v. Board um, and so many other civil rights cases. Uh, and Justice Marshall said to now brand new Justice Thomas, look, he said, I did in my time what I had to do. Um, now you do in your time what you have to do. And uh, Thomas has the most fond memories of Justice Marshall uh, so uh, y- y- you know and and of course there was such an outcry um, that this monument of the civil rights movement uh, this this litigator for the NAACP was replaced by a black conservative um, but it it it, it brings to mind another event um in in Thomas's history which is uh, uh a federal ju- a black federal judge named Leon Higginbotham uh wrote this uh, scathing open letter in the law yeah. journal oh yeah <laughs> uh, right i mean in which he said you know the senators who voted in favor of Justice Thomas's confirmation wouldn't have even hired them as their own lawyer this was just affirmative action um, and uh, uh, and you know the whole sort of black bar rose up uh, with one voice and and some years later justice thomas goes to the nat- to the convention of the national lawyers association the oldest biggest and most prestigious organization of black lawyers and judges of the country. And he says, look, you know, I know how much hostility there is against me because of my political views. Um, But he says, you know, all the effort of being the integrator, the first and the only, all the hours of study, they were meant to help, not to hurt. And you can't imagine how much pain it causes me to be looked at as an enemy by my own people, because I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help. But I'm trying to help according to my own opinion, my own beliefs about what it is that black American citizens need in order to advance. And you know what? I will not have my opinions assigned to me according to the color of my skin. That's not freedom. Right? The first freedom here is freedom of conscience, freedom of belief, and I'm claiming it as a black man. So he says, look, I'm a man, a black man, an American, and that's what I've come here to tell you today, and I'm going to think for myself. And if you, if you, you know, one way of looking over Justice Thomas's jurisprudence um, is to see that an awful lot of it, is to try to make, well, is to try is to try to make good on that promise that we are all endowed by our Creator um, with inalienable rights and we're all created equal. And Thomas is trying to make that come true in his own way, and he thinks, I mean, to take an example, right? You mentioned Thurgood Marshall. Okay, so let's go to Brown v. Board and what Thomas says is, look at how, you know, everybody says, oh, the court was so heroic in, in Brown v. Board. Uh, although he doesn't use the word, he, what he's actually saying in his comments on Brown v. Board is, look at how cowardly the court was. He says, the real hero was Justice John Marshall Harlan in Plessy v. Ferguson in the 1890s. So, the the majority of the court says that separate but equal accommodation for the races in public accommodation is okay. It's constitutional. The lone dissenter is John Marshall Harlan, who says, our Constitution is colorblind and does not recognize or tolerate classes among citizens. The law regards man as man. And Thomas says, why didn't why didn't Chief Justice Warren just simply quote Justice Harlan and say, our Constitution is colorblind, right? And and instead, we had this whole rigmarole with psychology to say that in the special case of education, you can't have racial discrimination because separate cannot be equal. Why didn't the court just say what the founders really meant, which is racial discrimination is wrong, period, period, in any department of public life? And this is, you know, you were mentioning just a minute ago how Justice Thomas had employees when he was running the uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission who were teaching him political philosophy. And the political philosophy that they taught him was the political philosophy that I, I'm reading all of Lincoln's speeches right now. And, you know, and, and boy, were, were, were Leo Strauss and Harry Jaffa right uh, in saying that the founders, as Lincoln recognized, the founders knew perfectly well that slavery was wrong, that slavery was totally inconsistent with the principles they enunciated in the Declaration of Independence and were trying to protect in the Constitution. But they knew that they could not get the Constitution ratified, says Lincoln, if they tried to abolish slavery at once. So instead... They did everything they could possibly do to limit its spread. They passed the Northwest Ordinance, preventing it from spreading into those territories. they uh, They abolished the slave trade as of 1808 you know the, and they and what they thought was, and this includes this includes even slaveholders like Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. they thought that slavery would would gradually... Would gradually disappear, they didn't count on Eli Whitney inventing the cotton gin right and so uh, <laughs> well Myron, know, so the,
0: Myron, I gotta, well well I'm going to tell you we're down to our last we're inside our last ten minutes here, and just uh, to uh, let uh, you know i I I cut my teeth on learning the Constitution, uh, reading Louise and Mitchell Brodus, the biography of a Constitution. Does that bring back a couple of decades back? Uh, I still have a copy on on my shelf with it. Uh, But I just want to ask you one thing just before we sign off, because your book is fascinating. It brings out a lot of interesting things about Clarence Thomas, and it draws a picture of him. That I didn't see You know, you see what you see on TV You see what you see on the confirmation hearings But you color in a lot And that's not meant to be a pun Color in a lot about his background and his personality In your book, Clarence Thomas and the Lost Constitution People can get up on Amazon um, But I want to ask you With the debate last night And I nearly spit out my, uh, my soda last night Listening to it <laughs> When Bernie Sanders said that he wanted to Rotate the Supremes out of the court Into other courts And appoint new Supremes and I'm like, where is that in the Constitution? I-, I thought they were appointed for life.
2: Yeah, well, there's the living Constitution for you, right? We can make it up as we go along. And that's exactly the divide that I'm talking about. He really believes that you can make it up as you go along. You can't. We have a, as Clarence Thomas says, we have a written Constitution because the framers wanted a an, an impermeable barrier against rulers ruling according to whim. And what Bernie Sanders is saying is you can't think of anything more dangerously whimsical than that, don't you think?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I was hysterical when, when I saw that. It was like, oh yeah, let's see how far that Go. I don't think so. But this is what it is. They believe it's a living con- uh, living document. And I've always said it is the foundation of the building. If you remove the foundation, the building will collapse. You remove the Constitution, the nation will collapse. But in your book, you explain all the attacks on the Constitution, the different stages that it goes through. And hopefully we have hope to reclaim it with Clarence Thomas laying this foundation as he is so methodically doing.
2: And if we can just persuade Chief Justice Roberts, um, oh, we can make a lot of headway here. But here's here here's the thing. I mean, he you know Justice Thomas has laid out this this battle plan, um, and he has put the troops in place. So, you know, if there should be four more years of a Republican administration which has stated as its first priority putting originalist justices on the high bench. Um, it, 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 I, I don't know if you remember this, but as recently as five years ago, um, constitutional thinkers like uh, Mark Levin or Richard Epstein uh, at the U of Chicago were were. We were in such despair over the way the living Constitution was distorting our fundamental governmental framework that they were saying we ought to have a new Constitutional Convention as Article 5 of the Constitution allows. And I was thinking, uh oh, down that road lies disaster, right? If once we start tinkering, we're not going to end up with something that, like a miracle, the convention of 1787 produced, well, you know, there isn't that kind of despair right now, because I think that people see that Justice Thomas's idea of restoring the original Constitution by overturning the Supreme Court decisions that distorted it or permitted other branches of government to distort it, you know, by overturning these decisions, we can restore that constitution in an incremental way, uh, and we don't need anything as revolutionary and dramatic as an Article 5 constitutional convention. Well, wouldn't that be wonderful if, in a in a real American way, you know, by the Supreme Court doing what it's supposed to do, as laid out in the Federalist Papers, uh, and as laid out by uh, John Marshall in Marbury v Madison uh, wouldn't it wouldn't, wouldn't it be great uh, if Justice Thomas's way of restoring the original constitution by overturning the illegitimate supreme court decisions that subverted it could come to pass
0: it would be a blessing myron it has been a pleasure to be you were being with us um, your book is Clarence Thomas and the Lost Constitution. Do you have a website just shortly because we've got just a couple of seconds left? com. Very easy. And definitely you will be coming back on the show. I can just sit back and let you take over.
2: <laughs> it's <laughs> been fun. <laughs> no, no, no. The questions were wonderful, and I enjoyed it. I thank you both with all my heart. Well,
3: more well
0: God bless. And thank we'll be you. speaking soon take care. All right, Curtis, um, we will be back the day after 4th of July. 4th of July is my mom's birthday. Um, so we'll Uh-oh. be back when I'll, I'll come up with something uh, for an all-American celebration for the 4th of July. Um, it, it's not as bad as we think when we think about what someone like Clarence Thomas is doing. There is hope for this republic. But Curtis, it has been fun. The show has gone so oh, fast. Yeah. So I'm leading off with our closing number when the roll is called up yonder. And I want to thank everyone that joined us in the chat room, uh, in the studio, and everywhere else. And I say until then, good night, and God bless.
5: And do well.
3: Thank you.